The Koi Gig Pod. There's no way Arsenal would let her go. It's all kind of mind games going on, which is a lot of fun. Picked up more attention than any other actual transfer. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Wednesday morning. Shane is here. Double Rano, as I say in Czech Republic. Ah. Colm is here. Colm, how are you? G'day. Sir. You were on a stag weekend. No, oh, not a stag. You were on many other people's stag weekends, just not yours. Yeah, I was in the middle of many stags. Yeah. On the flight home, there was these rowdy lads boarding, you know. And oh, they had the whole weekend behind them, like, and everything that was consumed. And they were, like, on the last dregs of that. Ugh. And then I was like, ha, imagine, they, imagine you were sitting next to them. And then I sit in the plane. I'm surrounded, surrounded by this stag sure enough. on the way home. Thankfully, as soon as we uh, left the land, they fell asleep straight away. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lovely. I was going to say, I could smell the farts from here. Mm. Yeah. Murphy's Law. Yeah. Uh, I, had an, I had an aisle seat, though, which is crucial. An aisle seat, uh, you have to forego the view. An aisle seat is fantastic because you're in control for the whole flight. No, you can get up whenever you want. I, I'm an aviation nerd. i gotta be in, I got to be in the window seat. You can still see out the window. Yeah, you just do a bit of leaning. It's a bit awkward though, isn't it? Looking over two people. That's all. No, were, no one thinks you're staring right at them when you look across. They do. They do. That's if you that. if you were to power rank your nerding things, Shane, where would aviation? Where would aviation? <laughs> Aviation's come? top five. I would oh, say. Is it? Yeah, 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 you have more than five. I have. <laughs> I have lots more than five. Okay, I'd right. Say. That's yeah, uh, yeah. that's impressive. <laughs> uh, very kind of you to um, you know allow your wife to have the uh, aisle seat there, Colm. She was in the other aisle. Oh, I see. That's how we book it. Uh, holding right. hands clever. Paying pay extra to be yeah. uh, separate. No, it's just uh, yeah, optional conversation. Fair you want. Fair. And then you can just do your own thing. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's um, you know, um, now it's uh, separate aisle seats and, you know, before long it's twin beds. i tell you what happened. I love flying, right? But my left ear is blocked ever since I landed. Luckily enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't hear. One closest to chair. I can only hear you in muffled sounds. You didn't miss anything. Someone will have tips in the comments to get rid of that, I'd say. I can't. I'm trying to blow my nose out of it, trying to get it out. You know. Oh, lovely! I can't, this, um, is the, this is the nicest breakfast show that anybody's ever walked yeah, up to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend. It's bothering me though. Morning. At this stage, I don't mind it for a while. But uh, I know it's a great city. If anyone's ever in the mood, and reasonable, handy enough flight. Only a little over two hours. Different currency. What's the currency called, Shane? The uh, Czech Krona. Krona. The astronomical clock was. That's the main attraction, and it's a bit underwhelming, yeah. to be honest. Once but an hour, this little skeleton. Yeah, it's, it's all right. You know, it was like it's thousands of years old, which is interesting. But Prague Castle's class, oh, that yeah. is massive. That's brilliant. It's unbelievable. And then um, Petine Tower. Oh, I got the name wrong, I'd say. But anyway, their tower is their Eiffel Tower, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it's technically higher because they counted the hill that the tower is actually placed on. Uh, yeah, I can see how you would do that. Yeah, yeah, it was built only two years after the Eiffel Tower. All oh, right. And the Eiffel Tower was built in what year, Shane? Oh, I'd probably say like the 1910s or 20s. 1889. Was it, Shane? I also thought it was 20th century, but no. Yeah. There you go. But fantastic. The beer there is uh, like the purest beer in the world. Their taps are very clean. They're the biggest beer drinkers in the world. Did you capita. try Slivovitz? Also, it's like a plum brandy, a Czech plum brandy. No, it's no, powerful stuff. Jesus, no, powerful slash good or powerful slash. It's tasty, but it like blow your head off, blow the head of you. Right. Yeah. 
Um, there you go. Obviously, someone swallowed a, a guidebook and decided that they were going to burp it all over our, our morning. Come on, Colin. Did you catch any sports over <laughs> the? I watched the second half of the Wales match. In I was telling Cameron there the earlier. Bad half. They have a lovely, yeah, the bad half. I missed all the good stuff. Uh, they have a lovely collection of Irish bars they in do. Prague, yeah. like really, actually, lovely pubs. Mm. And they happen to be the pubs with the best atmosphere. Yeah. As we sampled quite a few local ones, tourist ones, and Irish ones. I think the Irish ones are the best. The city of a thousand spires because of, there's so many churches, and yet it's, I think it's the most atheistic country in the world now. Yeah, 85%. They all lost apparently. their faith after the Purple yeah, Revolution yeah. and the, the Russians. And, it's and a very rest. bohemian city. Yeah. Right up your street. 100%. And the nice old time. Street. Gorgeous old great. time. Yeah. Do a walking tour of the Jewish quarter if you're there. Yeah. Wow. The, the history of Jewish people in Prague is fascinating. Yeah. There's the cemetery and everything. Oh, it's a brilliant city. All right, you can uh, leave some recommendations in the comments this morning if you want, and we'll leave that them there forever. Really <laughs> right. Uh, where are we starting here? Well, we've got LeBron, I suppose, overnight, who's yeah, done, a yeah. bit, done a bit of business. I mean, What business him, did he do? Well, he's broken the NBL time scoring record. My, uh, my own personal favourite is Kareem, Ab- Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he's, he's broken the record. Now, wait to see this. This is the most American you're, thing. You're a bit hipster, though. Why do you love Kareem? Well, Kareem, of course, made the appearance in my favourite comedy film, Airplane, 1980, I think it was. Uh, where the little kid comes into the cockpit and says, You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. And he's like, No kid, I'm, I'm Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. And this whole thing, this whole charade continues for the for the entire movie. It's brilliant. It's like, Roger, Roger, what's our victor, Victor? And then, of course, the other pilot is called Over. So he's like, This is Captain Over, Over. It's, I mean, it's it's slapstick, but it's fantastic. Uh, so Kareem, Kareem was there overnight to, to watch his record being shattered. Which was... Uh, which it was one of those awkward American moments. So we have a video here, which is B-roll of um, the moment, the fadeaway drop shot that LeBron breaks the record, gets the massive points. Everyone's waiting for it. Look at the amount of phones out. Kind of make you a little bit sad. What? Are, what? Go on. And that's it done. And then there's there's but I think it's ten point nine seconds left in the third quarter when the shot goes in. Uh, so there's still time to play in the third quarter, and yet. Everything stops. You'll see on the clock there, Oklahoma leading 104 points to 99. Oklahoma, I think, want to win the match as well. But photographers come out, players come out, Kareem comes out, LeBron's family come out. There's a, a ceremony with the NBA commissioner as well. Kareem uh, hands him the basketball, I think, that he took for the shot. It's like, this is the equivalent of, of the game being stopped at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the weekend for Harry Kane's moment. Um, of course, there's a tip-off in football, so it's a bit different, but... like. What are the Oklahoma players thinking here? <coughs> Oklahoma won, didn't they? They did, yeah, but it must be like, can we just, can we just finish the quarter? What is wrong with you? Well, I well co- they, hang on a second now. Sorry, I'm saying what they, what they will oh, be thinking. No, if they're fellow professionals. This is exactly what we should be doing. This is, everybody who was there last night is going to remember the fact that they were there the night that LeBron broke. They're not going to remember who. These, these regular season games happen like five times a week. They, they, do- they play a thousand basketball matches a year. Yeah. And this, this is like their greatest. Scorer in the history of the game, could potentially they, the most talented player of all time, is doing something completely remarkable. This is exactly what we should do. Could they have waited ten point nine seconds for the end of the quarter at no, least. No, no. Why? It's only ten seconds away. Well, what's the difference? Ten when, seconds. When Kieran McManus scores whatever it is, the like the the highest ranking point, Connor McManus even when Connor McManus scores that, right? Ah, but the, you should stop. And Ma- stop if Monaghan Ma- are five points down to Tyrone and, and McManus kicks an irrelevant score, because you're never going to remember, you're never going to remember that game against Tyrone. They're always beating you. Oh, you're never going to forget Connor McManus kicking 
Don't do it for Pat Horgan last year. Uh, are, does that mean that you're... Uh, well, you, do you approve of John Terry being substituted in the 26th minute yeah, of his last I game mean, at Chelsea? Come on. And it did a uh, guard of honour for oh, him as he was subbed. That's outrageous. Because you hate John Terry, right? And because he's a, not a very nice man, right? I can see the, the issue that you might have with that. However, he is literally the greatest, most important footballer in the history of that club. That, that has been through the whole system. That, that took them to the highest of high heights that it's possible to get to in football. And <laughs> the you 26th to, minute, isn't you it? he didn't pick. have the number 81 on his back. Like It's ridiculous. Uh, here's what I think about what you just said. I don't believe you. I don't think you believe that. I think you have to say that because you went strong there now yeah, yeah, on uh, LeBron. Yeah, yeah, and I, you're I, like, I resent the accusation. You're Actually, like, no. You definitely disagree with the John Terry one. Why? Ah, you do. It's I his last game. Do. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he, so he, I don't know how many games he played. Was it six hundred something? He, he's played actually a hundred or two hundred less than than Kareem did to get to that point. Mm. So you're talking about LeBron? Oh, sorry, LeBron. Sorry, oh, I'm completely like, gone. These records are really, really important. They're the type of things that uh, kids dream of. They're the they're the reason that those those meaningless midweek games between I don't know are okay. See any good or are not? Are they good? Are they? The, no, the Lakers no. are shite, right? The Lakers literally the whole season this year has been, as far as I know, has been essentially about getting him this record. So when the record's broken. You have to pay attention to it. Yeah, do it after the third quarter or after the match. What difference does it make? Those t- well, ten seconds. Just restart a, the game. You're in the middle of a quarter, though. But they can just restart the game. It's like a, it's like a, an elongated timeout. Yeah, but then you I suppose you guys think, oh, they shouldn't have an extended halftime show at the Super Bowl. It's a game. It's like what? I wasn't included. What's that's, your, that's different. I, I included. What's with your lack of joy? I think it's half time. The players are off the pitch. They don't care how the long. The fact they that they get. played it for ten point nine seconds remaining uh, is the reason that it made the show. You should be mm. happy with that. Mm-hmm. You know. That's the only reason I wanted to play it. Always like, be closing is, there, Colin. This is outrageous. But more joylessness. Well, can you imagine any other sports where this would happen? Um, oh, American uh, football, exact same thing happened. American football. Sure, Peyton Manning in the middle of the game. They're like, oh, is that because it's like, no, you know, why not? What's wrong with this? The clip I want to see is how when it resumed afterwards. It was a bit underwhelming. Formula One, Formula One, or oh, Max Verstappen. You're after you're after uh, breaking the number of uh, fastest lap times that Michael Schumacher ever had. Can all the other cars just slow down for a second? Can you all slow down and just go behind Max and wave at him and say, "Good man, Max." Can you all just put the brakes on there for a second? But these are generational moments, and it's the reason we all follow sport. Isn't y- it? Yeah, but uh, I, no, I'm not saying don't celebrate. You want to prove it, John? You're Jerry, basically saying don't celebrate. Just celebrate you're, at the right time, at the opportune moment. It's, it's live LeBron, sport. The LeBron you're, you're policing the celebrations. The Oklahoma players are professional LeBron basketballers. Was this LeBron's request? Do we know? Because it was, John, it was John Terry's request. It's the most American thing ever. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they didn't. O- the, the roof didn't open and five second fighter jets. I would love to know. Was this uh, LeBron's idea? There's no guarantee. Of course, he was going to score. Whereas Terry was definitely going to reach the 26th minute. It, ne- it needed some like Navy SEALs to just par- like just come down from the roof on oh, ropes. No, that's what it needed. It was just no. missing that. You know, you know that the the militarization that that is like all paid for. That only started in two thousand six, two thousand seven. They started investing tens of millions in marketing uh, with the they had the flyover and stuff before mm. that. But um, they saw a marketing opportunity. So that's just that's just a money. That's just an injection of money on behalf of the armed forces to try and associate them with sport. Sport should have said no, but sport is guilty of everything, so it takes the money. But in this instance, celebrating the greatest scorer and potentially, as I said, you know, there's a debate about the most talented. That's come around again. Um, Jordan, the greatest winner. LeBron, I don't care. Whatever, whatever, whatever makes, whatever floats your boat, whether you're Team Messi or Team Ronaldo, it's up to you. It doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that these things are the type of things that inspire greatness in other people. He's been on a, a singular 
journey to try and get to this point and he gets there having been like the most heralded teenager in world sports and Freddie do and uh, but then you know delivering again and 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 celebrate the moment but get out of the match first or get out of the end of the quarter this match doesn't matter but it does it does not matter at all won the match then players might remember beating LeBron in the game where he broke the records screw him it will age well Shane in five years' time, you'll approve of it. No, but sorry, you're using time. Conor McManus as an example to try and pull yeah, right. at my heartstrings. If if a Kildare, if Johnny Doyle was going to break the record against the Dubs in a Leinster semi-final, and they were five points down, and there was two minutes left, Is and it he the tapped over scoring a free, records. Yeah, not just the Kildare scoring records. Say for time scoring records. Yeah. Stop the match. But a tap but over free like to lose by four points to the Dubs instead of five. Well, like like Pat Horgan. Maybe yeah. yeah like, exactly. I, I don't think that. I don't think you're going to be calling at that at that juncture. I don't right? think there's anything wrong with that. I think that actually, if if it's the all-time scoring record, and actually we had good records and knew what the all-time scoring record was, we might be able to have this conversation in, in reality. But like, Look, if it happens in an all Ireland final or a big game, yeah. But do that, okay? After a lesser the match, final, a lesser final is literally the most irrelevant game in the history of the world. I'm not being Mister uh, Free Season Friendly. I'm not fun police here. For uh, oh, after the match, after the match, put, set fireworks out your ass for all I care. Celebrate till the cows come home. The Irish Richard Keyes has made himself known. Just, you know, after the third quarter or when the game is over, take out with the celebrations. Uh, take I out. I don't know if you've seen Richard Keyes is, um, is, um, he has become a delicious troll, right? His trolling has reached new levels of, of excellence. He was talking about Pep. It's like, oh, why would Pep leave now? Mm. Surely this is the biggest opportunity he's ever had to, uh, show his genius when they don't have the most resources. I'm like, that's a good point there. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he my mind hit the like button? <laughs> yeah, well, he, maybe he does have a point. Pep's not going to leave. Pep's getting tetchy. He's, I, mean, uh, I think there's a fairly good chance Pep leaves. <clears throat> I think so. I think, I think there's a very good chance Pep leaves. But this process is going to take this so story, long. This story is explosive. Yeah. There is accelerant being poured on the story every day by the English papers. And, like, so we, it's funny we all go to England for matches from time to time. I think almost everybody who's watching or listening this morning has been to England to see a Premier League match at some point. And when you get over there, you realise just how embedded the football culture is and the football pyramid that they talk about is real. Every small town has uh, these brilliant facilities, which is, you know, uh, stands on four sides and loads of the the amateur uh, football teams have training grounds purchased because one of their players once made it to the old first division and the, the money trickled down the pyramid. Football really, 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 really matters. And their sense of injustice that someone came in and allegedly broke the rules and spent a load of money has got people very riled up. Mm. And uh, to coin a phrase, the anger is on. Mm. People are pissed off about this. Well, They've been be- pissed off generally about loads of stuff. Yeah. But now all of a sudden there's like it's a lightning rod. <clears throat> well, Nick Harris was on PM last night talking with Joe. And uh, said if you know if he had to actually bet on it, he would think maybe this could be resolved by the end of the calendar year, rather than the years that people think it might take. They're like Mick was saying in the news down last night, and I kind of tend to agree with him that actually Shane, you said it earlier this week is when you see the push notification on Monday morning, you're like ah they'll get fined and we'll all move on. But uh, it seems like this really is growing legs. Like, but I did I do kind of think in three or four years' time this will eventually be resolved and. We'll all move on with our lives. Mm. But quite, you know, Harris has done a lot of work on it and was saying to Joe last night, we could know the decision about this before the year is out. Yeah. And this could be explosive. I think Pep will go. They win the Champions League, he's going to go. Well, if they win the Champions League, well, they get to keep the trophy. Uh, Panic Stations is the back page of the Sun. This guy is David Panic KC, King's Council, that means. Uh, Manchester City have hired the star striker of the legal world, David Panic KC, to save their Premier League skin. 
Silky skilled. How top legal eagle David Panic might look like in the Man City kit. 80 grand a day. As he is revealed as their new defence in the FFP case. Way to step over my bit there, Colin. Yeah. Thanks for that. 80 grand a day. <laughs> it's too exciting to keep it in. Do you want to just sit here? <laughs> would, you not, would you just not pick someone whose name is Panic? <laughs> Panic on the streets of Belfast. They could have picked anyone. Dublin, Dundee, Humberside. Surely there's like someone... Panic on the streets of Manchester. Yeah, they could have picked this list with the name Control or like Cam or... <laughs> you better know. be careful here what you say about this guy. He's hot shot. <laughs> yeah. He's hot shot. He, we think he's amazing. Oh, he's brilliant. I'm panicking now. Um, yeah, around five grand an hour and up to 400 grand a week. A wage not dissimilar to City Gold Machine Erling Haaland. Jesus. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't know such jobs existed when I was a child. Yeah. I wouldn't have been dreaming of scoring goals in the back garden, would you? If I'd known... But you have to sit in an office all day. I mean, you know, it'd be all right. I'd say it's a nice office, Shane. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, you know, like the wind comes whistling in gently through mm. the leaves of the trees. It's yeah. Like the gaff's not bad. I'd say it's okay. The fleet of cars. What whatever, fa- whatever it is that you want. You can, you can have your own atomic clock. Oh, yeah. Astronomical clock. Astronomical clock. The atomic clock. I don't, I don't want that to keep ticking. Um, yeah, Jesus. Fair. I, I didn't realise his name was Panic. That's fantastic. What's next, Colin? <laughs> Next is, um, as producer Kathleen has just written into her notes, let's move on to the teams. This has been um, coming for a while, Shane, and it's off the back of your Eric Cantona take last week, I want to say. Well, no, no, sorry. My take wasn't controversial. Johnny Ward said he, he was not world class, and Jer Johnny chimed Ward? in on the crappy quiz the previous week. Ah. That's what brought it back into my head. And then Jer chimed in to say he wasn't, he was good, not great. That was the quote. So uh, that, that got him into my head and Jerry was like, he wouldn't be in your top 10 United players in the Premier League. We'll find out this morning. If he didn't say the Premier League here. Sorry, ever. Never. We said ever. Either way. No, no, there's a difference. He was going to be in the top 10 either way, I promise you that. Football did not begin in 1992. It didn't. Yes, but it did for the sake of it the slot. We're going to have to make it Premier League worthy because you, you can say George Best and Bobby Charlton how do we know? Yeah, we, so we've, what we've done is picked uh, the top you ten. Can, you can watch the grainy uh, YouTube footage and go, okay, that's genuinely world class. They're up against the greatest footballers of their era and they're absolutely dominating them. The Benfica game. Like, are you saying you can't deduce that George Best was world class because you didn't see it with your own eyes? No, no, he was, but we, would, we wouldn't know how to compare him to more modern players and where to put him in the list. Well, that's Colin's argument, is that I didn't well, see him, and so therefore I can't... If you include every player that's played for United ever, then you really are going kind of almost like an objective, knowledgeable list of these are actually the 10 Duncan best Edwards. Ever. Duncan Edwards is in the top 10, but like, where do we put him? We don't know. So, it's uh, that's so the a little bit like I can't learn any, anything from history because I didn't see it. There's just a, I just see that teetering into the... So this is the top, the, top 10... Off the edge of the abyss there. No. Myself and Colin have picked our top 10 players of the Manchester United Premier League year of 92-1 from 10 down to 1, ranked. I had Brian Robson originally, but I will own up and say I took him out because Premier League era. I know Robson teetered into that era, but he had his probably his best years at United the late 80s, early 90s before that. So that's why Robson's not in it. There's a reason why Law, law Best, Charlton aren't in it. Mm-hmm. So what, you was your, what was your twist of logic for Brian that? Robson's not in it because Premier League era. So his his best years at United were eighty nine and early nineties. So that's the reason why he's. This not is in. some weird mental gymnastics no. bullshit going on here. United 
best ten players of the Premier League era. No, well, wasn't that wasn't okay. You've, you've Basically, we had to have seen them ourselves. You broke yeah. the rules. Uh, you, you have to see them yourself. You saw Brian Robson. Yeah, but uh, right on the borderline. Yeah, well, that doesn't, I, was, like, I was young. Oh, you know, I remembered it. I saw the last year of Roy Keane where he was at Celtic. Here's he my at Celtic. This, like. is, this is my list. On the, on, on, so for the people listening on podcast or listening, Paul's goals is your number one. Is let, this in order? Me, don't spoil this. Is this in order? It is in order. What? This is get top, out. Top ten man. Get out. Let me let me let the listeners know. Out. No, get no. out! I'm going to defend them here. Okay, can we get it back up on screen so I can remember it? So ten, Dennis Irwin, nine, Ruud van Nistelrooy, eight, Nemanja Vidić, seven, Peter Schmeichel, six, Cristiano Ronaldo, five, Eric Cantona, four, Wayne Rooney, three, Roy Keane, two, Ryan Giggs, and one, Paul Scholes. Scholes, the greatest midfielder of the Premier League era, deserves to be the number one Manchester United player of the Premier League era. Both number one is a big shout. It's a big shout, but... Big shout. He couldn't get in the Man United team for a long period of time. Big Listen, big shout. He, he could not get in the Man United team He was the ages. fulcrum of, of... He was a sub. ...a treble-winning Manchester United team, who was suspended for the final, notably. But the likes of Van, Van der Sar, Stam, uh, Cole, Solskjaer, but Parchi Sung, of course, <laughs> close, close to the team, uh, close to the top ten. But uh, for me, Paul Scholes... Undoubtedly, yet yeah, not an one. automatic choice all the time. F- fell out with uh, Ferguson to the point where he he left, he, he quit for a while, and then he actually quit. So uh, class recognises class. The Real Madrid uh, players. Knew Roy Keane is a far superior player. player to Paul I, I'd agree with that, but that Scholes quitting thing—that was one match the League Cup against Arsenal in 2001, and he didn't apologise a few days. Scholes continued. Scholes won the second Champions League with United in 08. Roy Keane wasn't wasn't around at that point. He, yeah, because he retired. I understand now that like uh, the the vagaries of age seem to somehow prevent you from being considered a footballer for the things that you did before that happened. No, it's it's a matter of opinion, and this is subjective, granted. Yes. But yeah. for me, Paul Scholes is the greatest Manchester United footballer of the Premier League era. Fact. Uh, your opinion's wrong. That's okay. It's good that it's good that you've completely ruined no. your argument here by like uh, derailing it. But put Paul Scholes number one. Well, you have Roy Keane number one then. I'm not a Manchester Yeah, well, there you, you say, I, would, I would definitely 700 have, appearances, like, 150 goals. He played from 93 to 2013. He was, it was a fulcrum of 20 years of that era, Paul's goals. Like, longevity does count. Yeah, I'm sorry, Roy, you left United in 05. Like, of course that matters here. Skulls went on to win another Champions League. He scored a screamer in the Champions League semi-final. In, can I have a look at the list again? Here's the list again. There's two Irish in the list as well. We've so got Skulls is one, Giggs is two, Keane is three. I mean, Giggs ahead of Keane. But anyway, uh, Rooney's four, Cantona's five. So no Rio Ferdinand? No, I had to pick between... Uh, for me, I wanted to pick between Rio or Vidic. And I went with Vidic. Uh. I, I just, I don't know, something about Nemanja Vidic. Schmeichel ahead of, ahead of them, right? Yeah, I, I could have put Vatersar in there, but Schmeichel for me... Uh, oh. All right, so it's... Uh, I'll go six. Uh, yeah, number six. Oh, ow, that's very fair, though. It's always, but it's not that far down. Number six, sixth best United Premier League player of like that's pretty high. You know, someone in the comments could help you with that. He was 03 to 09. I did my elbow the other day. Someone says, Winry, the guy that broke the club's leading goal scoring record, yet Scholes is better. Yeah, but yeah, but Scholes wasn't a striker. Like, different players. Like, no parchy songs, says Brian. Exactly. Yeah, you, bottled close. you bottled it. You bottled it. World class, you, he was world class, and you bottled it. Sh- Shane says, and it's not me, Paul Scholes wouldn't tie Gerard's boots. You must be fucking joking. Stop, stop, stop. We'll come to the comments. Sorry, we'll come to the comments. But also, Park Sung didn't make your list even though Park Sung was world class. A lot of world class players. I I never said he was in the top 10 United players of the Premier League era. (coughs) Park Park was brilliant. Okay, so Lee Keegan's not in the top 10 players of the Premier League era. Different. Is he? 
<laughs> he didn't play in the Premier League. Different. What bullshit Premier League Keegan, era is your equivalent? I have been on record saying Lee Keegan is the greatest male footballer of all is time. A color, in the colour television era, I'd say. Lee Keegan is the greatest male player of all time. And I've said that. I said that the day One I said it. One teammate said that. Yeah, I said it. So, Right. Go on, Colm. Throw it up there. So... What I went for is this Andy Cole, number 10. Did, are you the only one? Did, did they put your picture on yours? Did, yeah, yeah. Oh, I missed no, it. Sorry. The column yeah. looks like he's going to a wedding. I dressed up for it. Yeah. That's, right. a, that's a seriously I take this. Andy Cole, number 10. Dennis Irwin, 9. David Beckham, 8. Which I think was actually Harrison Beckham now that I put him in the 8. 7 was Schmeichel. 6 was Paul Scholes. I put Scholes 6. I think that's fair for Scholes. 5, Van Nistelrooy. 4, Cantona. <laughs> 3, Rooney. 2, Roy Keane. One Cristiano. Now going back, Andy Cole. What an underrated player. Mm. I was look. I was looking back at Andy Cole's statistics there last night. Right. So, in the ninety eight ninety nine season, seventeen Premier League goals. Right. The year before, ninety seven ninety eight, fifteen Premier League goals. That was actually arguably more impressive because that was the first season without Cantona and Roy Keane was injured for the vast majority of it. Yeah. And then following the treble winning season, when understandably you know it'd be a bit of a lull after that extraordinary season of achievement. He scored uh, 19 Premier League goals in 28 Premier League games in 1999-2000. Got into the PFA Team of the Year that year as well. And in the 1993-94 season, just you know before his move to United with Newcastle, he scored a bundle of goals and got Young Player of the Year and Golden Boot in the Premier League. Then you have some of the highlights of Andy Cole's goals. The Spurs, yeah, 99. Valley over 99 to win the league for United. The Barcelona goal that same season with Dwight York, 1-2 with York and Cole all the way down. Juventus, in the semi-final when he taps it in full steam ahead Barcelona iconic Clive Tilsley uh, commentary which was uh, to help you understand this a bit more <laughs> uh, then he was a great man for a scissor volley not quite a bicycle kick yeah. not quite a volley he scored two very similar goals against Leicester and Charlton at Old Trafford there's the chip at home to Everton great man for a chip lovely lovely technique on his little dinks and then a great finish at Highbury, which is actually an often forgotten goal from the 1996-97 season uh, went around Lukic the goalkeeper very tight angle, a bit mm. like the Mark Hughes goal against Barcelona in the Cup Winners' Cup 1991 final. Very tight angle, daisy cut finish into the far corner. Point is, Andy Cole, one of the greatest Premier League strikers ever, yeah. let alone Manchester United forwards, and very underrated. We're only picking very what he did for United, though, of course. Well, that's why I think he should be top 10, and he just makes it into the list. The rest. Would Dwight, York, would, would Dwight York not make it ahead of him? I was really close to picking York. Mm. Very, very Cole's close. Ahead of York. like York's best season was better than anything. York had scored one more goal than Cole in the treble winning season. And the reason but I went for Cole... he also had the same number of assists as Beckham that season. And the reason I went for Cole is he did it over a longer stretch and scored more spectacular goals and more memories for me. So that's why I had Andy Sorry, Cole there. these comments are driving me fucking insane. I'm not sure they were more spectacular. Uh, I would say more spectacular. Some of the goals that Cole scored. Ronaldo number one. York, had, York scored very simple, brilliant striker goals, but no. Cole had an array of amazing finishes. And another thing to say about Andy Cole. Said the other way around. One of, one of the greatest Premier League scorers and never took a penalty. Yeah. Love to go from play. Which, imagine he took penalties. But he was so, number 10 in your list. He's number 10, but I like a lot of our list crosses over, but I just wanted to highlight Cole because he wasn't in yours. He wasn't in mine, no. Uh, and then, look, the Cantona thing when I heard he last week was like, there's no doubt that Cantona was absolutely. Where did you have Cantona? United, four. Yeah, I had five, yeah, yeah. Four. And I think uh, he never did it in Europe, that's true. But United weren't doing it in Europe at that time as well. It wasn't With just respect, Cantona. You've, you've both totally 
broken the what? rules of this, which was which was uh, greatest Man United players of all time. I, which I was, had, the whole, I, was the whole point. He was right? in my list. League. He was in my top it ten. It wasn't Premier League. That, that's just also, like a... Uh, Cantona would make top ten of all time yeah, for his the, impact the, on the club. The only additions are easily. best law Charlton. So he would have he would have made me in Collins' list anyway. Easily would have made top ten. He joined the club in 1992. Paul McGrath's not making a list. Brian Robson would have made the list. Brian Robson, Paul McGrath. Catalyst sneaking in. 93, 94, Your grandfather is bullshit in. I don't know if McGrath makes the United top ten. He makes the... Man of the match match in an FA Cup final? Yeah, but he makes the Villa and the Road Ireland top ten of all time. But the United the United defence is, is uh, jam-packed. I think he was better than Nemanja Vidic. No, yeah, I don't disagree. But you know, Nemanja Vidic comes into a team that's already winning leagues. Vidic you stick Paul McGrath in a team that's already winning leagues and he's World Football of the Year. Yeah, yeah. But then Stan was on the, the treble team. you you got like, got to put these things into context. You know, Paul McGrath was a genius. But he, he couldn't get into this 11 because it's the Premier League 11. Also, where did you have Rooney? I had Rooney number four. Yeah, you see, again, quite slightly underrated. The club's greatest scorer. Where did you have him? Three. Three. Yeah, but I think he, as long as he's in the top five, people are going mad in the comments that he wasn't higher. But, sorry, like, some of the people given out about uh, Paul Scholes. I, Did I Cristiano, was he there for long enough? Did he do enough? Yeah, I think the reason, oh, I, the reason oh. I have number one is he was basically two players in one spell in that first spell, six years. So from 2003 to 2006, if Alex Ferguson was an impatient manager, Ronaldo could easily have been shown the door because for... From 04 to 06, he was a, basically a frustrating, tricky winger yeah. who Ruud van Nistelrooy famously got very impatient with. Mm. And then the 2006 World Cup happened and that wink between Portugal and England when Rooney got sent off and Ronaldo winks to the bench. Alex Ferguson gets the two together. When they come back after the World Cup, we're going to resolve this. And the first game of the following season, they beat Fulham 5 at Old Trafford and they combined for one of the greatest goals United scored that season. Ran the length of the pitch, the two of them, with one-twos. And from 2006 to 2009, his second half of his first spell, he was a goal machine. Yeah. So he was two players. Started off with this very, very tricky winger that we had never seen the likes of before, really. I mean, like the Sporting Lisbon friendly is the iconic match that all the players afterwards were like, we got to sign this kid, he's amazing. Mm. Ferguson, don't worry, I'm on it. Then his debut comes on against Bolton. We heard the story of Cristiano Fitzgerald that inspired that name. And then he was very, very inconsistent for three years. But it was all worth the wait because Ferguson knew this guy was going to be world class. And from 06 to 09, he was so brilliant for that three-year spell. That that's why he's number one on the list for me. And then obviously his second spell as well. He scored 24 goals last season, which is easily forgotten considering what he tarnished his whole legacy this season. All right. But still for me, the, the best United player of the Premier League era because he was insane. Uh, very quickly, some, some comments to wrap this bit up. Uh, did you see LeBron stop the game for a ceremony when he broke the record? Such an ick, says Flying Hellfish 99. Spectre Corp goes, nah, it was class. Neither of us will live to see someone break the record again. Sorry, in snooker, Ronnie O'Sullivan broke the 1,000 centuries in a, in, a, in a deciding frame. They had a lovely moment where Ronnie, quick thumbs up to the crowd, a little, little smile and a banner came up across, but they p- continued the frame. They didn't stop ever. said deciding frame. It was a deciding for it, but they continue. He, well, he obviously has won. He potted the rest of the balls. He, he, can't, you know, he obviously has won because he's yeah. got a century in the frame. Yeah, no one else is going to. He can't come back from but century. He, but he didn't stop after potting the ball to make 100 points. But, know, I mean, continued. you could say that uh, that is one of the reasons why Snooker's popularity has completely... Because nah. uh, people like Sorry. a little bit of the, the, razzmatazz and love. Mr. Darts. The greatest darts leg in history that happened at the World Championship there recently in Ali Pali. In the World Championship they, final. They went straight into the next World leg. Championship final. Yeah, yeah. straight into so the next LeBron's leg. not stopping... If this is in, like, game is, seven. You, is he not? I don't think it's in, I think it's in he game is. seven. I think he's stopping for twice the length of that period. I think uh, if it's in game seven... He's game definitely line, stopping in game absolutely seven. absolutely not. He definitely is. They're not. The whole point was it didn't matter. Ah, uh, I don't know. Uh, 
J.P. Wright, voice actor, says Shane needs a bit of work on the American accent. Well, you can. You he, can give, he's a voice actor. So. You can give him a bit of a bit of coaching there, J.P. I, Fair I enough. Feel that. And then the last one for now. Morning, Shane. Could you give a shout out to the Lonely Darts Club playing in the Second Division Luxembourg Dart League? Still looking for the first win of the year. Clear eyes, full points, can't win. Shout out. I'm sorry, Lonely Darts Club. For a name for a darts club, I think that's the that's the greatest name I've ever heard. So uh, well done, Kean. Yeah, a shout out to the Lonely Darts Club in the Second Division of Luxembourg. Incredible. Sorry, that that's brightened my morning because a lot of the comments here are giving Paul Scholes an awful feckin' time of it. Yeah, and let them let them have it. Put some respect on his name. No, no, we'll wait for it. We'll wait for Paul Scholes it. is the greatest midfielder in Premier League history. That's a that's that, like I won't be taking any questions on that. Right, lads, well done. You came here. You ruined the show. It's a minute past eight. What more can we say? The, the people have spoken if you want to get in touch this morning 087-9180-180 that's the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream alternatively you can uh, get us uh, at Off The Ball AM uh, I think Tommy Rooney is with us Tommy good morning to you unmute yourself there good man good morning yeah I muted myself just in case I reacted <laughs> to the last list there but we won't get into that one no very quickly I can't have Paul's goals over Roy Keane. Oh, Tommy, I, I, thought, Tommy. I, thought, yeah. I thought you'd be a Scholes. This is an excellent start yeah. to this week's episode of the yeah. Power Rankings. Well done. There we go. And you can't have a list of Manchester United's greatest ever players without having George Best, Bobby Charlton, oh, exactly. Dennis Lauder. It's, it's a cockroach. I wouldn't go near that Premier League oh, year. It's, it's, a very, it's a very modern thing to suggest that history doesn't exist because we didn't see it with our own eyes. And it is leading to all sorts of problems around the world. Where's Duncan Edwards going? Here? What, what's your footballing? Do a bit of research. I don't know where he's going. But research what? Just watch a couple of old grainy videos. Read of books. Edwards. Read books. Oh my God. I do read books, but that doesn't teach me how good Duncan Edwards it was in comparison does. to Feckin' Paul absolutely Scholes. does. Yeah, you kind of, what could he do? Where did he go? Where could he play in the pitch? What was the field of yeah, influence? What did the manager exactly. at the time say about him? How did they compare him with the previous greats? And what was his... But they can't compare was, him to Scholes. Or his achievements. We don't know. Yeah, I, without uh, trying to undermine my power rankings here, watching I Believe in Miracles made John Robertson one of my favourite footballers of all time. So that's what, that's what can happen, Shane, when you watch a bit of old footage. Jesus, there you, there you go. go. Yeah. All right. There you go. Okay. Now, it is time for our GAA power rankings. Yeah. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Uh, we're going to have a new thing next week where we talk about uh, mushrooms, but we might leave that until we've actually got it done. Are you on the, are you on the mushies this week, Tommy? I absolutely am not, and I've never been accused of that before. But that, that's what happens when uh, the power rankings are put into your hands. It's been a busy few weeks, Jer, without you. I was surprised you weren't there the first day around to give me a bit of grief. But my God, I have taken it since. Uh, how prepared or otherwise were you for the onslaught in your DMs and publicly? I was, pre- I was prepared. I did the work. I didn't take any decision lightly. I think I've been proven right in a lot of regards so far with a lot of my early calls. And uh, I vociferously defended myself on every single social media platform that I possibly could <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. Well, so I, I, turned, I turned off my phone for a week there. So yeah, that's where we are. Tell me, um, I obviously missed last week, or the, the first time that you did this. Have you adapted, changed and evolved the criteria from Owen Sheehan where it was just like his internal computer that was deciding what the order was? A little bit. Uh, there's still an element of that, which I think some people find it very difficult to get their heads around. Uh, there's a couple of 
new websites at the minute that are are doing uh, their own power rankings. I think Stats and Sports is a GA site that I, I had a look at. There's where we have vastly different criteria. I put it that way. There is, you know, obviously a bit of science, a bit of statistics. But who was it that said statistics can't judge character? So character comes into this too. So the character of the team obviously plays a factor. Owen never really let us see how the fig was put into the fig role, mm. and I don't think I'd be doing the same either. But I would be defending all of my choices. All right. Um, let's I get ran on. out of time the last day, so will I just go yeah, quickly let's through? Yeah, let's get Okay, so I, I'll talk through the movers, and you can give out if there's no one that isn't moving that you're giving out about. Uh, movers from 32 to 25. Longford have slipped down again. Zero from two, bottom of Division three, hammered by the neighbours Westmead in the Midlands of Classico at the weekend. They have the worst score difference in the four divisions. I do think Paddy Christie will eventually get a kick out of them. Not at the minute. So they're at the 27th. Leash have jumped up on them. Two from two. Finally, a bit of momentum for Leash. Low enough at the moment uh, in the rankings to begin with. But that's because at the weekend, they had their first win uh, since February 2020. So it's been a very long slide. The first one at home since February 2020. Been a very long slide, but they're on the right uh, road at the minute. And then on to the next round of rankings. For anyone listening Shall I give a recap of where we're at? Yeah, so, Waterford, yeah, Wicklow, so 32 Wexford. Waterford, 31 Wicklow, 30 Wexford, 29 Carlow, 28 London, 27 Longford, down one, 26 Leach, up one. Leitrim unchanged at 25. Were you tempted to... They're doing well? They're doing well. They're the top scorers in the division. I got accused of football ball bias for having Andy Moore inside there, but I gave my reasons last week for having them so high. There was a real bounce in Leitrim football last year. Um, and Sligo are just ahead of them in 24th so moving on to the next tier Sligo 24th Antrim 23rd Fermanagh 22nd big movers here Tipperary have slid down two places 0 from 2 joint bottom of Division 3 they already lost Colin O'Reardon who trained early in the year but didn't commit Michael Quinlevin isn't around and now they've lost their talisman Connor Sweeney to the dreaded cruciate injury I fear they're about to make a swift return to Division 4 it's and last season. they're it's in a the, bit of bother. Yeah, it has all the hallmarks yeah. of last season for them, unfortunately. Go on. Yeah, 20th, awfully. Um, I doubted Liam Kearns. I said not every team can get a manager bounce. <laughs> Liam Kearns certainly has. They are two from two. Uh, I didn't think they pushed on this year, but they're in a great position. The weekend, it was 1-1 apiece with Fermanagh at halftime, but it got a bit better in the second half and awfully edged that one one nine to one eight. Yeah, uh, Fermanagh and Antrim have had uh, tricky starts. Uh, mm. uh, like, uh, so we're going to talk about down now, right? Um, uh, yeah. Antrim nearly beat down but then didn't. For sure. Yeah. And so like, it's hard to tell. That, that could be great for Antrim because down could be getting a bounce and they just need to see it through in week three and make sure they get a win. Um, yeah, so 100%. I, I, they're, they're on the precipice of, of they're in a bit of flux at the moment. We're down, they're only going up one even though they won two, two, two games. Yeah, and I, I look at it, I found it difficult, I'm going to come to it in a minute, I found it difficult to move counties up two, but in some places you just had to, like, you couldn't slip tip beneath Offaly after losing two games and Offaly winning one, so tip had to jump down two. Down, while I feel they're starting from a very, very low base, the move music is good. You know, uh, Laverty knows what he's doing. It might be early, but he knows what he's doing and he will do really well as an inter-county manager. Um, Oral Murdoch was picked out in the GA Team of the Week this week. He's getting rave reviews. Keep an eye out for him, a young midfielder, rocking it at the moment in down. Um, Pat Havern is flying up front of Barry O'Hagan. So, they've won two different ways they had a good win out the first day and they mixed it up the other night. They got They were blessed really by all accounts against Antrim. So, you can't complain when that's happening early on in the season. Like So they're getting wins. Down can't complain. They're going to be happy with where they are. Um, 
louder 18th. I did feel like putting them over Limerick, but we're going to leave a couple of weeks to see how that gets on. Limerick are 17th. A couple of Limerick people aren't happy, but despite their run to the Munster final, I do think that they're going to be relegated back to Division 3. Right. Here's where it starts to get interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 16th position, Calvin. Calvin people will complain, but they always do. Two That's wins. Two wins, for the moment. Yeah. For sure, shame, but there's a fine line between moving up the rankings when you're switching between divisions and stuff like that. League football can have a bearing, but... Um, you know, it can, it can be difficult to move ahead of a Division 2 side. Kildare 15th. I really thought long and hard about this, Jer. I actually thought I had them low enough in 13th, to be honest, and I thought that was going to cause a bit of consternation when we had the rankings originally. Well, this is where you got accused of being uh, on mushrooms for putting Kildare in 13th. Yeah, the... What's the, it going to be the on Kildare, Kildare, Yeah, Kildare GA podcast. But I just... Look at The defeat against Dublin, Grant. It's in Crow Park. Nice, couple of nice showings. Kevin Feely came back onto the pitch after his recovery from injury. Daniel Flynn, nowhere to be seen, had a bit of a knock. He was back last week off the bench. But they went 27 minutes at home without scoring against Cork. Not great. That is just... like I was, I was in Newbridge last year to watch them beat Dublin. And this is my problem with Kildare. They have it in them. They have the ability. They have the footballers. But there's something missing on a fundamental level. And I don't know what it is. The other thing I'm surprised about was the mood music. And I know you can see this in most counties. If a defeat goes against them, they're, they're complaining, there's there's arguments on social media. But there was a grave response from Kildare Channels at the weekend in terms of how bad that first half really was. Second half didn't get much better. Cork are good. Like, like I'm not saying Mead were lucky to beat them, but that game hinged on a couple of moments around the 50th minute. Cork easily could have won that game. But Cork are not the finished article. Most of the teams in Division 2 have weaknesses to go with their strengths. Kildare seems to be a fatal one, and it seems to just be an element of flakiness that they just can't shake over the last couple of years. Grand have got to Leinster finals, but they never really put a paw on Dublin. I just, I, I'm just, I, it's a sad state of affairs. I do hope that they get higher than they are, because they're far better than they're showing. But what is going on? Um, I don't know. I think that last year's Leinster final defeat has had more of an impact than the quality of the good performance they put it against Mayo. Like, if they'd got over Mayo that day, I think it would have mm. been a transformative moment for the team, a real recovery from what happened. And for them to have lost in the manner that they did, there seems to be some kind of um, hangover from that. Now, I know they're working on that. So, And again, it is only the early stages of the league. However, Division 2 of the league is vitally important so it's a bear pit it's on a bit of a, a knife edge at the moment I, I do think though that like um, there's there's just a problem here with the position of Westmeath like okay well you you're, know you are say that you're putting them in the top 12 because they're guaranteed to be in the Talton Cup or they, not to be in the Sam Maguire is that it? there isn't one full reason why I've put Westmead in 12th position and they may not stay in 12th position I truly believe the manner in which they took the Talchon Cup so seriously, the benefits they got from it, the team holiday they got, they were all in Cancun together in November. They have a new manager bounced that into that with Desi Dolan and Jason Sherlock. How'd that work out their first team. day? Sure. Okay. And, and this is the league and it's early and it's January, yeah, right? Well, uh, but the but look at the response they put in. They weren't they're, particularly they're like, bouncy. I think they're the second highest goal scorers in the league now. They well, see the, uh, the, the response they put in against Langford. And Langford won the O'Byrne Cup. Don't remember. Don't forget that. You know, Langford had an okay start of the year. They were in good shape. They were moving well. well uh, so Cork and Meath need to be above West Meath, Tommy. Uh, look at Shane. It's a long year. It's a sprint this year, not a marathon. So there'll be a lot of changes to the power rankings. You're in being cute years, here. As a Meath man, you're being cute here putting West Meath above Meath. Like, there's, there's something Shane, going on here. 
Mead have had the, the largest move this week of any county. Mead are up two places. I wouldn't I wouldn't have taken places. taken it off you if you put them up three though and dumped them ahead of West Mead. But like if you're watching the Mead games closely, you'll see that there are very obvious weaknesses and it's great. The mood music is really good, the chest is out, they're the highest goal scorers in the division. But it's Mead are not the finished article. They're missing a couple players from injury now. And you know, a couple of Sigerson issues, as you've seen, Colin O'Rourke finding it difficult to get the balance between starting players uh, who are captaining their sides in Sigerson and media players that are actually captaining teams at that level. Um, they are key players for him, but you know, he's lost a couple of players now. Um, they're playing a new style. He can't ask for much more as a Mead fan, but they are not the finished article yet. Uh, okay, I do think that the Westmeath positioning uh, is like a fundamental error here. Um, I'm also, you don't think that the Talton Cup deserves bonus points? But that's last year, you know. Like they this, won a trophy, championship. They won a league title the year, bef- uh, the year before that. Yeah, they have trophies in this dressing room. I'd love they have to winners s- in this dressing room. I'd, I think they are arguably the second best team in Lancer. Well, I'd love to have seen them win their first league game and their second game, and it be like, okay, so we beat Longford, but as you said, yeah. you expect Longford to get relegated. So uh, beating the relegation fodder is not actually. An indicator sure. of good quality form at the moment. Cavan, Offaly, and Down are two from two, and Westmead mm-hmm. are one from two, having played you know as we said Longford in Division Three, and there are Division Two teams behind them mm. who we think are going to end up topping Division Two. What's your prediction for who's going to top Division Two? I mean, I think, I think privately, you I think, think we're going to do it. I'm, I'm breaching confidence here. Oh, but you sorry, think, Division Two. Yeah, I asked Division Three for a second. Who do I think is top in Division Two? Dublin. Like Dolan are walking away Derry, Derry two, and Derry are getting promoted. Yeah. Like that's so, what's happening in Division 2 this year. Mead aren't, Mead, aren't ready. Mead aren't ready to be a Division 1 side yet. The hope is that they back up what they've shown this year. They put in good performances in every game. They may not win every game, but good, solid performances in every game. They continue to show this flair up front because they're starting six forwards, which I absolutely love. <laughs> but I don't think they're going to get promoted. I haven't seen enough yet to say that they will. I haven't seen enough yet to say that they are a solid Division 1 team. Like what you want to happen to, with Mead is that they're good enough to go up and they're good enough to stay there, which was common. Look like they may get away with this year. Yeah, which obviously has been a, yeah. a real problem for teams getting promoted, Yodo, exactly. getting promoted a season too early, uh, yeah. and the relegation from Division One seems to be psychological disaster. It's like yeah. you know we're we're seeing you know that. West West Mead had it a couple of years ago. They were roundly beaten or soundly beaten in, in every game, eight games. Mead had it two years ago. They were beaten, but I thought they were very competitive, yeah. which I thought. Helped them, but you know they didn't get the bounce next year. Kildare bet them in that playoff, so it just shows you well, it's you a, just need to put in the foundations to get there. Yeah, and it's the same even with Kildare, who were chronically unlucky last year in Division One, but are not yeah. seeing the benefit of having played at that higher level just at, at the moment. Now, exactly, this can turn around really quickly. There's a, there's a down week this week. This is the yep. week where you get everybody together and you say, "What the hell? What do we stand for? What are our values? Let's go!" And sometimes that'll work, and sometimes it won't. So. A lot of these teams in so, this in between sixteen and nine. So you've got there's a lot of movement. Yeah, so yeah. West Mead at twelve, Clare at eleven. I think Clare maybe at eleven. The Clare are perennial All Ireland quarter finalists here. They're in Division Two constantly over the last couple of years. A lot of people complained about this, but there's a lot to be said for that. I think there's um, like you've and they're staying there again this year. Jerry. One, like one of my favourite lines from um, Die Hard is where they're talking about the Helsinki syndrome, as in Helsinki, Sweden. Mm-hmm. I just uh, for whatever reason I found it like. <laughs> If I can get an NFT of that, I would be like, yeah, I, that's the one piece that I would ever pay for. You definitely have Stockholm syndrome, or you know, more accurately, Burren syndrome, or something. You've gone native. The air no, down there sure. is is poisoning your brain to the point where they're the eleventh best team in the country. Mm. Jer- I, I had a piece in the program in Navan at the weekend. Um, I was asked to r- write a piece about the rivalry between Clare and Mead, and I happened to not sit in defence. I called a Mead win. 
I did say that I think, thought it'd be very close and that the noise and mead and the noise and Navin would get them over the line. <laughs> I but, believe they call that know, uh, riding with the hare and hunting with the hound. Yeah, yeah. Running with the hare and yeah. hunting with the hound. So, look at <laughs> What a butcher. High, they, are punching, they are punching above their weight, but it is a very good care team. I've watched them closely over the last couple of years and they have some... He's not uh, going to pick you, Tommy. He's not going to pick you. It's too late. Give up. Look at I'm I'm long beyond that, Jer. I've I've long given up on that dream. So uh, if only Callum O'Rourke come in a bit earlier in Mead. But there, that's another story for another day. Uh, the next two games in Division Two are going to tell the tale. I presume there's producers in your ear screaming to hurry up. But Kildare are in Ennis to play Clare. If Kildare is zero from three, it's Talchin Cup for Glen Ryan this year. Mead are an own beg against Derry, and if Mead don't put in a good performance, we could be questioning everything we've seen in the first two weeks. Okay, so we'll, we'll... Okay, goal or ninth. Monaghan, we're not. We're going to leave them in tent. I feel like they're going to stay there for the year. I hope that they can move on from this. I do think there's a slide in Monaghan, but they're going to have to find some talent. Uh, not find some talent because there is good younger players there, like Sean Jones and some of the younger defenders breaking through. But they're going to need to solidify themselves as Division One footballers very quickly because they're sliding into Division Two and they're going to probably, hopefully, not stay there. But you know. Monaghan are there at the moment they're 10th I don't think they're moving Donegal has slipped back to 9th yes they've beaten the All-Ireland Champions Kerry at home in the rain when Kerry had a shadow team out just about got over the line but I think we got a better idea of what Donegal are about against Tyrone it was a fairly I, I, that was a freak I honestly think that Donegal win over Kerry in the first game was a freak like I, I do I actually agree with you Tommy I think Donegal and Monaghan will probably get relegated from Division 1 you'd be worried alright if you're Donegal supporter yeah. just that there was a, an immediate kick but that that mm. might be unsustainable, particularly when there's so many young players who are now understanding exactly what Division One football is about. Mm. Yeah, and like Paddy Carr's reputation for bringing young players along and, and getting them into the right zone, so he will do good work there. And Kildare, or just sorry, Donegal on paper are, as we always say, Donegal on paper are an exceptional side. They have so many good footballers across the board, but there has just been something wrong in that side over the last couple of years the way they've fallen short time and time again so they're in ninth and I don't see them breaking back into the top eight again this year The big difference there for me you see Donegal and Monaghan and Ross Common actually have new managers but Ross Common have held on to some of that that core group of experienced players whereas Monaghan you know they've lost Drew Wiley in Colin Walsh retirement McManus and the two Hughes haven't been playing yet in the league they're going to come back in soon Jack McCarran's been injured uh, Davy Garland's playing Sigerson with TCU and banging in goals, so they're missing a few players. And similarly, if you've done it's a goal, if you lose, lose Michael Murphy, that that's tough. But Ross Common have gone the other way with the new manager; they've kept on some of those experienced players. So I think Ross Common are heading the other direction. Yeah. That's probably a very fair point, Shane. And for most of those teams between sixteen and nine, if they lose players to Sigerson to injuries to retirement, mm. you're snookered because the player pick, the depth, it just isn't there at the moment. Okay, we move on to top eight. Top eight, Ross Common. Okay, cracking the top Ross eight this week. Number eight. The Rossies, top of the league. Are they finally about to end their, yu- their yo-yo hoodoo? Jeez, I couldn't say it there. The baggies of the last couple of years. The West Brom of the last couple of years is Paddy Andrews christened them uh, too much um, arguments from his common people. But the manner of the victories have been impressive in the fact that they've been very similar. I don't know whether it's the hallmarks of a... Uh, that the, the change might be coming the fact that they're falling behind and their bench is coming on and making the difference but they had a really resounding win against Tyrone in the last 15 minutes to come back from a couple of points down and against Galway all Ireland runners up the player, the team that I have in third place uh, they bet them 9-8 at the weekend with a cracking winner from Richard Hughes um, breaking up the field in the last minute when Galway were on the attack plenty to work on in the county uh, there is a new generation I think on the way through in Roscommon you're seeing it in their midfield and in some of their attackers um, they got you know great value out of the players over the last decade but some of them need to break through and probably force you know 
some of them onto the bench. So they could have a strong bench this year, it's common, with a couple of a new wave of players breaking through. We have Conor McKenna on the show a little bit later on. You've got Tyrone at Brilliant. seven. If um yeah. if McKenna was still at Tyrone, you might have them a little bit higher. But I do think that uh, you know, traditionally, Tyrone have fallen flat the year after they've won all Ireland. I mean they can't really it's not it's a fluke, right? But yeah. uh I I very gratified as someone who thought that there was more in that Tyrone team than a fluky All-Ireland win you know mm. definitely felt like there's a, a, a squad there and depth there that many other counties don't have there's also a very clear identity and everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing something weird happened last year with all the retirements that yep. completely stripped the depth but then they have that replenished this year with one of the best under-20s teams that we've seen in a long time probably too early for a lot of them but not too early for some of them and maybe oh, I hope it's yeah, I hope it's not too early for Rory Canavan, Gerard. We're getting really close to seeing a really vibrant Toronto attack with the two Canavans in there. Like, that is going to be, you know, a sight worth paying in to watch. And I can't wait to see that. They're, I think you're right. I think Look, I think Toronto, it's, I'm being harsh on Toronto. I love Toronto football. They were my favourite team of the tw- 2000s. They're phenomenal with a chip on the shoulder. So maybe I've given them that chip on the shoulder. I'm not. I'm only joking. It's not going to be under dressing room wall this year. But James O'Donoghue called them to be relegated. Well, he, didn't, he said that they were in danger of relegation early last year. That didn't happen. But the year, the problems they had, the, yeah, the problems they had, you know, it, it, it permeated. And that hangover, I think, is still there a little bit. You saw the way the loss was coming. Good win at the weekend. I think Toronto will push on this year. Once again, I actually think every team from 7-1 to one are contenders this year. Mm. I think this is an open All-Ireland. I think I thought last year was too. Kerry... I'm going to say it, we're lucky to get over the line. A Dublin could have easily won that All-Ireland again last year. But equally, if Armagh had gotten to the All-Ireland final, if Derry had gotten to the All-Ireland I don't think Derry had enough free, but you know, it could have been anyone's in that All-Ireland final. Galway pushed Kerry all the way. So I think anyone from 7-1 to one can win the All-Ireland. I'm putting that on the record. Derry in Division 2 this year are having the opportunity to play teams that they're superior to and getting a bit of confidence going and trying to find a bit of attacking flair. That's the one thing that gives me some hope that we're going to see a development uh, from last year but there's also the possibility that last year was the best that we are ever going to get from Derry that they are All-Ireland semi-finalists but that they don't quite have the forward firepower to see them through in big games like that now perhaps that's wrong the the textbook uh, Rory and Jim McGuinness in Donegal was reach a semi-final show everybody what the heady heights are like and then the next year come and mm. piratically take over be the Pirates yeah Jim and Rory had McFadden Murphy, McBrearty though. And I'm not saying McGuigan, Toner and Heron can't live up to a really high level, but I think Shane McGuigan's are marquee forward. They need Lachlan Murray to really break through this year and show how good he can be. You know, he had a couple of moments in the Mechanic Cup. He's very highly rated in Derry. They need a couple of more of the, the Glenn players probably to bring their flair, but Glenn didn't really have shooters across the board. They had goal scorers. They had lads with a knife for goals. So Derry definitely needs something else. We need to see an evolution, Jerry. I totally agree with you. I'm not convinced that they have it in them what Donegal had from 11 to 12 but well, maybe they don't, need, they don't need that maybe okay. they have something else I'm not, not sure but I'd, I'd have them behind Tyrone now and I'd actually I'd have Tyrone ahead of Armagh now as well I think I think you're going to would you have Tyrone ahead of Armagh yeah I just uh, oh oh no yeah well Tyrone won all Ireland oh Armagh I know quite impressive. the impressive. was so bad Armagh like and Armagh are going to push the league all the way this year like what if Armagh win Division 1 of the league this year well then then, I, then you're okay fair enough then I'd have them third it's going to be uh, they have to do that they, you know let's wait and see it's set up for a, for a Derry Armagh to final this year because you've got Fermanagh against Derry in the quarter final the winner will play the winner of Tyrone Monaghan and I think Derry will beat probably Tyrone I'm, 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 I'm going with Tyrone in, in that one that's a good call Shane early 
Well, I think Derry will beat Tyrone in, a, in an Ulster semi-final and I think it'll be Donegal or Down against Cavan, Armagh or Antrim. So it's going to be probably a Donegal, Armagh semi-final on the other, on the other side. No dis- I've disrespect. already called. So I think it could, be, it could well be a Derry-Armagh Ulster final this year. Like, the Ulster's hard to defend but very, if any team can do it I think Derry can it's do it. It's an Armagh-Tyrone final. Back to the, I, back I to the future. Think, well, it could be. Yeah, but I, I think there's a good chance of that, Jen. Yeah, and and I, they I move it to Croker. Defended, yeah, that'd be that'd be some turn up. Oh, lads, no, 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 Derry, Derry are Derry are there on merit. Like they, they, sorry, no, was he, was he, they beat Tyrone by twelve points in the McKenna Cup final not too long ago, and there wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't shadow boxing. Yes, it doesn't teams, matter. Like, they yeah, not, shadow, I didn't. They were strong Lanford, teams. Lanford, 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 yeah, Lanford, different sports. They, they had no Glen players cup. either. I mean, yeah, preseason's not getting the thumbs up for me. Yeah, look at I think Armand Fort is obviously contentious, but I do think that they were the fourth best team in the country last year. I like, despite only getting to the All Ireland quarter final, I thought they were the fourth best team in the country, and that's why they're fourth ahead of Galway, ahead of Derry, no, Galway, ahead of Derry. Okay, I don't think Derry laid enough for glove on Galway. Mayo with um, I, I know the lads on the football pod this week are like, oh, it's a lease of life for Aidan O'Shea, and yeah. that's not a bad full forward line that they have if they have O'Shea oh. and Killian and a another whoever it is, Ryan O'Donoghue or whoever. They can actually yeah, move Ryan, players around. Ryan could be 11 this year. You could, you could kind of see that happen. Maybe even Ryan O'Dea coming out the top of the D. But i really been heartened by Kieran O'Connor's comeback, lads, because coming back from injury, the injuries that he's had at the age that he is and the amount of miles on the clock, he looks fresh as a daisy. Right. And he's been used well and he's coming back. I think there's good signs for Mayo. And I actually think the manner in which they drew the first game against Galway and the manner in which they drew the second game against Armagh they're great conversations for Kevin McStay and his management team to be having early in the year he's so enthusiastic post-match about everything as well yeah. that it's actually it has to be rubbing off yeah. uh, and then the last one I just want to talk to you about is uh, Donald Down Sullivan wasn't getting quite the thumbs up from Moilesy on the show yesterday I but, heard that but the level of excitement in Kerry is real yeah they, they legit believe it we're in a WhatsApp group but a Kerry man who must not be named uh, he's excited <laughs> You know, James O'Donoghue who's played alongside Donald Dan Sullivan and he kind of gave us the the insider view on him uh, and what they're feeling about him um, on the football pod this week. But like, he has, the, as I said on the pod this week, he's the cut of a county footballer. He actually looks like he's ready to play county football. And that's a very difficult thing to do given the level of conditioning that's in the game at the minute. He looks like he's ready to go, ready to rock. And I actually really believe Jack O'Connor needs to innovate as much as Derry need to evolve Kerry need to evolve this year because they were lucky to get over the line last year they, but they get the bounce of being all Ireland champions and the nice yeah. of knowing how to manage games they, 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 it's like the dubs were pretty lucky a couple of times to get over Mayo but yep. then once they get into that habit as the progression happened they became much better at it and that's why I have Kerry miles ahead of everybody I don't think it's that open I think it's Kerry's to lose okay and I think uh, the the discovery of two inside forwards you're like oh my god I know. And the production yeah, line of those under 20s, like, that is starting to roll through. So. Yeah, everywhere. But they need, they need a couple of positions. They need a midfielder. I think they need another, another half back, maybe. But yeah, there yeah. we go. All so right. I look forward to arguing again in a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. maybe having a bit more of uh, data to work with, a couple of more games, a couple of bit more, uh, bit more evidence. To You're doing well, Tommy. Not bad, not bad. Thanks, lads. Thank you very Take much. Now, Talk soon. Bye bye. Uh, that's this week's Power Rankings with Tommy Rooney. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. 
Right, it's bang on half past eight. Loads of comments coming through about um, the uh, completely incorrect teams that are top tens that uh, Shane and Colm had a little bit earlier. We'll we'll park those for now. We're going to talk about Liverpool and I'm delighted to say Gareth Roberts is with us to uh, try and parse through the crisis because it's a full-blown crisis at this stage. Gareth, we, we've talked before about this. Good morning to you. I'm sorry for your troubles again. Um, we, we've talked before about like, oh, it's a problem with the midfield. Uh, it's a... Sadio Mane thing it's a hangover from last season at a psychological level at a fitness level it, it's all of these things obviously but is there something else that we don't fully understand happening here is something else going on it's hard to say isn't it I mean it really feels like whatever theory you put forward about Liverpool at the moment it's right um, you can make a case for the defence being awful the attack being awful the midfield being awful you can make a case for uh, the owners lack of investment in the first team in in, in recent windows. Um, you can make a case for the wrong buys being made even as well. Um, so, you know, there is an awful lot of talk about the owners and investment, but equally, you know, was Cody Gakpo the right person to buy at this time when Liverpool are struggling in the way that they are in midfield in particular? You know, what did he really add at this time? So there are, there are an awful lot of questions, and and to me, what's worrying is that, is how much you can see it getting to the manager. Now, I'm not for a second trying to pile any pressure on Jurgen Klopp. There's enough on him already. Um, what's worrying for me is that it, it's getting to him a little bit. Um, you know, you saw after the game at the weekend, of course, in the press conference, it's been well covered um, that he he turned on a journalist, James Pierce, and and that seems to be mistaken identity because. There was no real reason to turn on James. But the very fact that he did that, you know, you could see the emotions boiling over in him. You could see it during the game as well, you know, when when the camera goes to the bench and things like that. You know, he's shaking his head, his head's in his hands. He's not he's not the usual Jurgen Klopp. So he looks like someone who, you know, he's looking at everything in, in exactly how we are in this conversation and saying literally everything is going wrong at this time. I think um, some of the earlier performances in the season, you know, some and, and certainly sometimes against certain opposition, okay, you can say, yeah, I can kind of see it. But, you know, going away to Wolves, losing in that fashion, particularly when you consider where Wolves are, what they've been doing, how, how much they've struggled to score goals. I, I think when things were happening against Brighton, at least you had it in your mind that, well, well Brighton are on the up, Brighton are a good side. Um, but when it's against a relegation struggler, then, then, then it really is time to worry, and it's it's hard to see any sort of you know light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. To be honest, I mean, you know, we'll 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 go to Anfield on Monday, of course. It's it's Everton on Monday, but you know, there's a bit of trepidation there. There's got to be when you see Everton get the result that they do against Arsenal. Um, they've got the new manager. They've got the new manager bounce. It, it is Sean Dyche, and you know what Everton are going to do. They're going to be physical. They're going to play the ball long. They're going to put balls into the box. They're going to try and cause problems that way. You know, there's nothing there where you where you think for certain, well, at least we'll get this from Liverpool. Because at the moment, there's not a lot of high points about Liverpool. You know, probably one of the, the few is that an 18-year-old lad in by Chetich is is playing well in midfield. But, you know, when you look at the stars who aren't playing well, you know, even that is almost like a, a backhanded compliment. So to say, what is it? You know, I could probably sit here for half an hour and, and list the problems at Liverpool at the moment, but they've got to get themselves out of this collective funk. It's up to those players. And, you know, there's an awful lot of focus on Jurgen Klopp and I've added to that, I suppose, with what I've said. 
But at this, it's reaching a point now where this is on the players. The players have got to sort themselves out to an extent because, you know, whatever the setup was, whatever the tactics were, the way they start against Wolves is awful. You know, it, it, it's basic mistakes. It's not closing down. It's not looking confident. It's not completing, you know, basic passes that, you know, you would expect someone at a decent level of football to complete, never mind a side that was getting 90-odd points last season and, and nearly won the lot. So, yeah, there's, there's psychological, there's form, there's fitness, there's injuries, um, there's the, all the off-the-field stuff, which doesn't sound great as well. You've got, you've got people leaving. We're not sure who's replacing them. There's the whole uncertainty about the ownership as well. But in the meantime, you know, the players have got to do the job. There, there are matches to be played, matches to be won. And and they know themselves that 10th place in the Premier League isn't acceptable for Liverpool. And there's a lot of people's, you know, Liverpool careers on the line here and you'd expect to see a little bit more from them, to be honest. You know, there's a lot of contracts up. There's a lot of players who, you know, probably be looking at renewals and things like that as well. And at the moment, there's a, and, and we're seeing all the pieces in the media, of course we are, you know, we're seeing pieces about could Liverpool have a huge clear out? Well, yeah. You know, quite frankly, they could because based on the evidence of this season, there's not a lot of them, you know, that deserve a lot of praise on on the performances they put in so far. Can I just not to lay the point too much, but just to go back to the the press conference incident? Uh, so apparently, it is a case of mistaken identity. What was the mm-hmm. the piece that he was annoyed about? What it seems to have been to do with um, the power struggle behind the scenes over transfers. Is that is that the thing that has has pissed him off? Is that generally agreed? Or believed to have been allegedly the thing that pissed him off. Yeah, I mean that that's you know the, there's that aspect and that, and it's just that you know there's a piece isn't there um, where it was just sort of detail and that you know all isn't well behind the scenes as well and that certain individuals on the staff I don't know you know that individuals on the staff and people believe he's got more power than he has and all this kind of stuff. I, I think that was the piece um, that right. was being that allegedly uh, being referenced. I mean, that, it, it, there's a piece um, from Henry Winter on Liverpool in the Times today, and he he's talked about um, it being mistaken identity and, and, and referencing a piece which appears to be a piece that um, appeared on Sky Sports. Um, so, I mean, on the one hand, you would say you would expect a manager to defend his staff on the other, um, I'm, I'm just not sure that was the right time to, well, to raise an issue with a journalist, yeah, to be honest. I mean, if, it, 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 it overtook, you know, everything else about, you know, it's the story, isn't it? It's what you're wanting to talk to me about now. Well, it's what all the fans have been talking about. You know, as soon as that happened, everyone's exchanging WhatsApp messages saying, what's that about? What's James Pierce done? And everyone's trawling through everything James Pierce has written for The Athletic. It's the best nothing there. career move that's ever happened for him, for sure. <laughs> I do I do think that if you want to defend the staff, then you defend the staff. You don't say, I'm not going to talk to you because, you know, like there's a way of doing that that would have yeah. been a rallying cry and and powerful. It's, it's, a, it's a high wire act, but there's no high wire act in like refusing to answer questions from somebody because you're annoyed by them. And I think mm. that that just circles back to the point you made where it just did appear like it had annoyed him to the level where he'd lost control. Now, famously, he's, he's been pissed off at Roy Keane before and post matches, he's like, ah, you know, but that's generally after a victory or a mad refereeing decision or something. But this was calculated to the point where yeah. it didn't look like it was a good strategic move. And sure, look, who knows what else? And I, I also feel like the power vacuum when the owners have said that this club is for sale and they're looking for ownership, that has allowed 
you know, I'm sure that is just mildly distracting for Klopp and the, the change in transfer um, power structure, however that has ended up working. Um, and the results have not been the spectacular success that they were for so long. Then all of a sudden, it's death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, and that, and that is how it looks. You know, everyone's looking at Brighton at the moment, aren't they? And saying, you know, how how brilliantly run Brighton is, how well they've done in terms of getting players in that. You know, and all of a sudden, those players' values are going through the roof, and everyone else wants to buy them. You know, this is sort of the type of stuff that. Liverpool would do and Liverpool with a well-run club Liverpool with a club where you know a team like they had some kind of secret around transfers obviously Michael Edwards has left um, Julian Ward then meant to be set, stepping into the vacuum you know it did come as a shock to me and, and probably everyone else who supports Liverpool that he's then going and there are other people behind the scenes going we don't know who the next sport and director is going to be there's the vacuum in terms of power as well, like you say, in terms of the owners. Mike Gordon has obviously stepped away from the run of the club to concentrate on the selling of the club. And it just it just does seem that it's, a, it, it's an absolute mess at, at, at the moment from top to bottom, and you're seeing that in results. But like I say, I mean, for all the noise that there is around those various things, it's got to come back to the players at some point. And we're just seeing performances from the collective now where it, it's unrecognisable. It, you know, players that you would expect to run through walls for Liverpool aren't at times. And, you know, some of the, you know, a, a player that I admire and love and like watching, because, you, you know, look, I think as a football fan, the basics are always, some of the stuff that John Dice mentioned, funnily enough, you expect your players to run through walls, you expect your players to put effort in, and you expect your players to do the basics, and then you expect the quality to shine from there on in and for them to show why they're playing in the Premier League. Now, for me, you're seeing someone like Andy Robertson, who's been brilliant for Liverpool, loved the player, not closing down and things like that. And you're like, well, where's that Where's that mentality coming from? Why is that happening? Why is he switching off for those split seconds? What is that? Is he, is he just drained? Is he just mentally and physically drained? You know, it got referenced in the same press conference, you know, is this a hangover from last season? And Jürgen said himself that he's almost tired of that excuse. And I think most of us are, but it does seem to have taken something out of them. You know, the number of games, I guess, when you're at this stage of the season doesn't really, you know, wash too much, particularly as Jürgen said, we had a week you know, to prepare for Wolves and that was the performance we put in. But I just wonder whether there's something mentally, I'm no expert on that, but I just think, you know, is there something in coming so close to being regarded as almost the best ever? Like if, if Liverpool had done the clean sweep last season, you know, imagine how much all of those players would be lauded. And then to come so close and then end up so far from that, you know, has that has has faith been lost there? Is there something mentally wrong with them as a collective there? I don't know. I think as well, you know, there's lots of talk about transfers every single day. There's a lot of people that are absolutely obsessed by transfers, seemingly live for football transfers and, and don't consider any other aspect of it. But you've got to say that Liverpool have spent money on two fellas who play up front who aren't doing enough at the moment. You know, Cozy Gakpo, for me, has just looked neat and tidy at times. You know, you saw a little bit from him, um, I thought, in one of the Brighton games, where it looked like he was linking a little bit more with players and things like that. But overall, you know, he's not looked a big threat or anything. He's not coming in and made an impact. 
You know, Nunes, I, I like Nunes. He's got something about him. And look, he scored 10 goals for Liverpool this season and is the, is the second top goal scorer. But equally, we know that, you know, he's not taking chances, that he can look a little bit awkward at times. By his own admission, he's been surprised by the levels of the Premier League and the physicality of the Premier League and all the rest of it. So these players haven't come in and sort of hit the ground running to the extent it was needed. And then you throw in, you know, someone like Mo Salah, who, you know, everyone was scrambling for that contract that they wanted him to get. Everyone said it, it's imperative that Liverpool keep him, that Liverpool make him the highest paid Liverpool player ever. And then he's fell off a cliff. Um, and, and, you know, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, earlier in the season where people were saying, well, is that a tactical thing? Is he looking a bit more isolated? Is he looking as though he's being told to stay out on the wing more than come into the box? There's a lot of talk about that. But he's not even having a shot on target in games now. And he's missing chances and he doesn't look confident. I think it's four games without a shot on target, which is sort of unheard from, from, from Mo Salah. And yet he still scored, I think it's 17 goals all comps this season. So, you know, there are a lot of things where you're just thinking, it, it, you know, the, the old cliche, the hope in your heart thing. I think a lot of us are going to the game on Monday against Everton and it's just hope not expectation. You're like, well, where where is this big turnaround going to come from? And, you know, and some of the stuff, the conversations even, you're like, you know, I don't I don't mean to do Nat Phillips down, but, you know, he was expecting to move in in the transfer window just gone. Where was he expecting to move to? Probably, um, you know, a, a club lower down in the Premier League. I mean, Liverpool are 10th, but you take the point. Or, or maybe even top-end championship or somewhere abroad. I don't know. But my me, me point is that people are now sort of saying, could Nat Phillips be the saviour for Liverpool? You know, coming in and shoring up the defence and heading everything away that Everton throw at Liverpool on Monday. I mean, <laughs> that's a mad place for Liverpool to be after coming so close to a clean sweep last season. Gareth, just before we let you go, your thoughts on the, the Manchester City investigation? I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, you came so close to City for a number of these titles. Yeah. Uh, these alleged financial charges, I mean, we've heard that the potential punishments that City could face if they are found guilty. What's your take on the whole situation? I mean, look, it's no shock. It would, would be the first thing I said, and, you know, maybe the timing is, but, you know, the, the allegations aren't. Um, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, there's a meme, isn't there, of a, a woman falling back that's looking really shocked, and I think that would be the one to sum me up in a sarcastic way. I mean, what... <laughs> You know, it's it's no surprise at all. What 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 I would say is that you know I don't like this idea of that we we sort of go backwards and and you know somehow retrospectively awarded titles or anything like that. I wouldn't want that to happen, and I think that's ridiculous. I think you know if City are to be punished for for you know if the charges are held up and and it goes through. You know, punish them then, uh, punish them now. You know, whatever. But but this idea of going backwards and no, not for me because. It, it wouldn't be right. And, and and how would you celebrate a title that was years and years ago? You know, now, I, I just don't, you know, it was bad enough for me, Liverpool winning a title and not being able to be in the ground because of COVID. The idea you just awarded one because you got the most points in that season. You know, it's all a bit back to the future for me. You know, if you remember the back to the future um, films, if you change one thing, it affects everything in the future. And so, obviously, if you went back and, you know, Manchester City didn't buy X or Y or, you know, whatever, you didn't spend all this money, 
well, everything would change, wouldn't it? And, you know, Liverpool might not win all those points because, let's be honest, look, Liverpool and Manchester City have pushed each other on, I think, at times. And, you know, one of the reasons that Liverpool have got so many points in the Premier League under Jürgen Klopp is Manchester City. He he took that challenge and ran with it. And I remember him coming out with after an interview once saying, well, maybe we have to go and get 100 points. And I remember at the time thinking, wow, 100 points to win the league. That is absolutely wild. But Jürgen Klopp sort of embraced that. So Manchester City pushed Liverpool on. And yeah, I I wouldn't want that personally. I see a lot of people talking about that. And obviously, ex-Liverpool players, current Liverpool players, you know, coming out and saying, have I won the Premier League in the past and all that? No is the answer. Wouldn't be for me, that. Fair enough. Guys, you have a new podcast out. What's it called? Yeah, new challenge. Uh, sorry, new podcast called The Late Challenge. Just out today uh, on YouTube. Bit of football, bit of news, bit of messing about. Uh, so go and have a look at that. It's the Late Challenge Best of luck with the whole thing, Gareth. Great to have you with Cheers, us again. Mate. Thanks Thank a million. You. Cheers. It's uh, eight forty-seven. John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. Jaron Shane, how is the form? How are you? Good, thanks yourselves. All this uh, city story is. Um, oh. <laughs> we talk about something else. It's explosive. <laughs> we talk about something else. You want to talk about Harry Kane, don't you? Talk about something else. Dublin Race Festival, Harry Kane, positive things, sunny things, rainbows, not Manchester City. Well, we haven't we haven't mentioned the big racing story, which is uh, Gordon Elliott. A positive test. This is uh, this is a massive, massive story. Gordon Elliott will appear before an independent disciplinary panel of the BHA today after one of his horses was found to have the presence of a prohibited substance at last year's Cheltenham Festival. So this is Zana here, who finished, I think, third behind... Yeah, finished third circle. Yeah, in last year's champion hurdle. So it was a local anaesthetic used in equine medicine, which was found. And they'll have to determine today the British Horse Racing Authority's independent panel of three. The hearings at two o'clock, whether... Um, the horse will be disqualified, whether there's culpability uh, on Gordon Elliott's store, and uh, if so, what the level of punishment will be. Um, so he's trained 150 winners in Ireland this season. His reputation, um, you know, obviously he moved on from the, what happened to him in 2021, which was a six-month ban for bringing racing into distribution. This was after he was pictured sitting on a dead horse. So he's made a successful return to the training ranks, and obviously now, five weeks out from Cheltenham, this is not the, the kind of thing I'm sure he'd want to be dealing with. Backpage news, you know, for racing on all of the, uh, certainly the Irish papers. I don't know if it's if it quite cracked the back page. Well, it was in the, all across the Daily Mail last night. Was it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, oh yeah, back page of the London Times this morning as well. Mm-hmm. Gordon Elliott faced a disciplinary hearing at the BHA today. So, um, it's just not a good look for the sports. Uh, no, it's not. To hear what they, it's what not. they come out with and say, because, uh, you know, most of these, cases where you use a medicine they have to be recorded in advance and you know in a big operation like that you have somebody whose job it is to make sure that all that all the uh, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed so we wait and see exactly what happens today but that is a a big story brewing and racing I think the Manchester City thing uh, will just drag on and on I would agree with the the Gareth there that I don't think there'll be no joy in Liverpool or any other club getting these titles retrospectively. I think what is important now is what happens to City in terms of punishment, how long that's going to take. And I think the big thing is the impact it would have on both the managers, future there, Guardiola and the squad, like who would want to be playing Champions League football. I'm trying to think of it's not a comparable situation, but I'm trying to think if Saracens were able to keep their players in rugby after their demotion from the Premiership and now they're back on top of the Premiership I think football is a different beast Yeah I, I mean I think that uh, didn't you get relegated and come straight back up Yeah in Calciopoli and um, you know they had a little period where they weren't the biggest team and then they were the biggest team again for years But the Premier League moves so fast it's got so many big fish now with Newcastle with Chelsea with um, 
you know, United. Uh, yeah, is it, is it a death Arsenal. sentence? Well, I think it's hard. If there was only one or two teams, if it was a Bayern Dortmund situation, for example, like obviously those clubs are, haven't done anything wrong. Uh, but if it was only like two teams at the very top now, we're talking about six or seven teams. Mm. Um, it's harder if you were, say, demoted for a season. Everybody leaves. Everybody wants to play Champions League football. Um, there's then, what's the attraction of going to City? But I suppose it just shows that the it's in, it's interesting timing of it with the white paper and the independent regulator now coming into into British football. But it also maybe shows the Premier League um, if they look in the mirror, all of them that you know you're not too big to fail. And it, it is, um, but the fact that the EFL would have to accept them as well, like this, this could drag and drag and drag. Even if City were demoted, then at that point the EFL have to get involved and say, oh, no, we don't want them." Or but, but I suppose it kind of strikes me to the point: What is Manchester City? Mm. Could Manchester City be playing in Fiji? Could they be playing in Hawaii? What is Manchester City as, a, as an entity? It's, it's a club owned by the state, United Arab Emirates. And I think this is where football has lost its moorings from a community-based you know, entity that Manchester City would have been around the east side of Manchester, Main Road, into these massive businesses. That, uh, where I think there was always a general a balance between the, the, the locals, the, the community and the business and that has just got so wildly out of sync that these are now sports franchises. And then we have what you've, you've seen at Chelsea recently, absolutely ridiculous stuff last week where they're spending more than all the other leagues in Europe combined. And that creates just a sense of disconnect, I think, between the people watching it. And they love the football, but what are these? What are these? Chelsea might as well be called, it could be called anything. Mm. Yeah. Happy, t- happy, happy days. <laughs> Told you not to go there. What about Harry Kane? <laughs> well, look, um, I've been lucky enough to see him up close and personal many, many times, and I think he's a world-class player. I feel really sorry for him, what happened at the World Cup. He's both a 10 and a 9. He's like my shoe size. He's a 9.5. So he's able to score the goals um, as a 9. Uh, he's, he's got a really ability, and David Delaney was speaking about this on Saturday, to really hit the ball really, really quickly before you, before you even blink and it's in the corner of the net. He's got a really quick shot on him. Um, so that's his, his marksmanship. Like He's obviously got incredible uh, vision and movement because he's not the fastest player. And then he has that 10 as well where he's able to drop deep. His close control, as I saw it in Frankfurt there, is off the charts. Um, and he works really, really hard. It's mad to think that Harry Kane, first of all, his first goal was against Shamrock Rovers. <laughs> Um, for Spurs and then he played in that Troy Deeney game he played for Leicester on loan yeah, in that 2013 crazy championship semi-final playoff game at Vicarage Road against Watford so his progression to 267 goals will probably now 200 Premier League goals will probably overtake Shearer in terms of um, such a big moment though John like I know it was the 15th minute but I almost feel like they should have stopped the game and, and like paused for 20-25 minutes and you know British soldiers should have come down from the roof and they should have had a big ceremony and brought Harry Kane's family on and told the city players to just to just stand there and, and wait. Just we're gonna we're gonna acknowledge Harry Kane. I'm of course being completely sarcastic because we had an argument on the show this morning about LeBron James moment. There was still ten seconds left in the in the third quarter and he hits the, the shot that They have timeouts in basketball. the NBA Championship. They just have time out. And they have a big massive ceremony yeah. in the middle of the match. To acknowledge like the greatest moment that anybody who is alive watching basketball at the moment. How ridiculous would be if the City, Man City players had to stand there and watch a ceremony. They have timeouts in football. Yeah. No. They have a moment to stop after a goal is scored. Well, well if they'd won the World Cup maybe that might have happened but maybe. Uh, they, they didn't. Um, ridiculous stuff. But yeah, like Spurs played really, really well against City. The best that I've seen them by a mile this season. Even Emerson played well. So there you um, go. Interesting, yeah. Richard Keys over here, John. <laughs> Talking about yourself. Anything else going on? Well, I mean, I, I, I find it interesting that the um, 
race course attendances attendances seem to have gone up. I would, and I'm not trying to be in any way disparaging here, but maybe there's a Peaky Blinders crowd kind of like seeping into Irish racing at the, at the festivals. Um, like at Leperstown, we saw like both the attendances at Christmas and at the Dublin Racing Festival go up. And amazingly, William Mullins had four short price favourites that were all beaten. Blue Lord appreciated Lossie Mouth and Fasal Vega. He still had eight of the 15 winners. So Gallimar So, El Fabiolo, Gallopon de Chance, Gentleman de Me, State Man, Il Atetance, Gaelic Warrior and Fun Fun Fun. Just watch out, folks, if you're looking for Cheltenham. None of William Mullins' 10 winners at Cheltenham last year ran at the Dublin Racing Festival, mm. or one of the Dublin Racing Festival. And Honeysuckle, obviously, will go now to the Mayor's Hurdle at Cheltenham, hopefully her last hurrah. Peaky Blinders is to racing what Drive to Survive was to Formula One. Pretty Jonathan. much. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I think there's, there's definitely a growing movement there, you know. Mm. All right. JD, good All right, lads. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon. On Off the Ball on News Talk, it is 8.55. Derek McNamara is going to join us shortly to break down Ireland's stats from the weekend and the game against Wales. First up, here's Brian O'Driscoll talking to Joe about how Ireland's quieter moments against Wales were just part of the ebb and flow of the game. You have this more as a foot off the gas, the game is done, as opposed to anything to worry about overly. Well, I do think... Physically, it's very difficult, very challenging to play at the intensity that they played at for 30 minutes, 480. Um, and when you've built a scoreline like that, inevitably, the, it, you never see one-way traffic, or, or rarely, you know. And certainly, you know, in Six Nations games, there's, there's always ebbs and flows and nip and tuck in some capacity. Teams tend not to capitulate, certainly not Wales. You know, there's no thrashings anymore. So it's not going to continue in that regard. And you're going to have a reaction, particularly after, after half time. But we have to remember too, that when Wales did get their purple patch, um, you know, they should have scored a try other than a brilliant save from, well, one from, from Keenan chasing back, um, which for me was a knock on in the tackle, but anyway, the referee played on, but a brilliant coverage from the, from the fullback. And then you had one from Porter, which was absolutely brilliant yeah. in holding up. Um, was it Morgan again? But it, it, the smartness of that about realising even a man like Porter, he knew that if he hit Morgan in a collision, his momentum was most likely still going to carry him over. So the way he actually pivots his body and goes in for the tuck position immediately, knowing that holding him up is his only opportunity of stopping that try was really, really clever. And these are hundreds of a second decisions. So. Um, yeah, there was, but there were there were a couple of moments where the the momentum could have gone with Wales, but we managed to hold them off. And and then you know you go in at half time and you know something's coming in the second half. But when you've got a, a significant lead like that and you've got the firepower that Ireland have, you know there's going to be another score or two in you, which um, which ended up being the case. But it was it was very very comfortable. There was no nervousness even when when Wales even when they scored and then got the penalty from halfway. Maybe if Ken Owens hadn't thrown that over, you know, the overthrow the line out or crooked line out and they built something there, maybe there would have been, oh, well, let's see what comes of this. But there's there was still a significant gap between the two teams and, um, and and Ireland, it did feel as though they had an ability to ratchet it up when they needed to. That's Brian O'Driscoll talking about Ireland's performance against Wales at the weekend. I'm delighted to say Derek McNamara is back with us to talk to us about the statistical breakdown. Derek, how are you? Fantastic, yeah, very good. Um, weekend. Wales were as bad as you predicted they would be in that first half. I was like, oh, this is the difference between the two teams, yeah. as was um, uh, represented in stats. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it was interesting looking back on what we what I showed you last week and just, you know, Italy. You know, number one carrying team from the Autumn Nations Cup. You know, anybody who saw that game could see how amazingly 
fresh and brilliant it is to watch the Italians run of people run at run at France. It was amazing, but it was it was very interesting to see. Um, Italy or France kicked to the touch so often and given Italy the, the set piece to go again and again and again which is quite interesting which is something that was in the stats so they, were, they kicked the touch most the French but it was, no, it was a very interesting very interesting weekend and it was it was um, the French and, uh, the Welsh and the English are the, the, the two teams that kind of coming off the worst so but yeah no, we, we broke down the game we, we, we did a very similar situation as last week where I think we have a, a slide here to show you guys so it's just uh, breaking down each team based on overall grade, based on carrying, uh, tackling, rooking and passing. So um, Ireland, well, they're on top, as you'd expect, considering their, their performance and they're number one ranked at tackling, rooking and number two at passing. Uh, and then we're ranked number fifth at carrying. Um, and then the French, they're basically fourth, third third and first so passing would be their number one overall so trying to bring back same sort of stats same sort of analysis so that people become used to them and become aware of what it is we're doing and kind of how we break it down yeah okay Ireland are on top obviously after that performance is, is there um, a, a clear and obvious improvement in Scotland over the, the, the period as well like is is there a possibility that's a one-off because they've had those one-off performances what are you seeing in the trends there yeah, well, Scotland are the sort of team that tends to be hot and cold a little bit. You know, they've, they have a very good pack. They are able to um, control the game. You know, they're, they're, they're not the best passing team in the competition, but they've improved significantly over those three le- legs. But when we're, when we're looking at this analysis, when we're looking at this data, you always got to look at what's going on with your position as well. So England are like poor they were really really poor they were poor at carrying they were poor at tackling they were poor at rucking you know so I understand that the, the English team are trying to you know pull back the reins a little bit and try to actually implement some, some new changes after Eddie but it's going to take time you know and I think that's something you see from both teams the Welsh and the English bringing in new coaches yeah it's, it's no there's no easy answer to any of these uh, putting 15 guys on the pitch you know Sorry, going there. That, that, just that Irish tackling grade, ninety-seven point nine. Like yeah. that seems it, like Scotland are next on eighty-eight point three, but that seems significantly higher. Is that just because? Yeah, of the game yeah, it's tackling? very interesting. So what, what we look at when we're looking at tackling isn't just you know the, the, the ability of players to tackle. What we're looking at is the distance that the person's hit off the line. So to the game line, we're looking at uh, the distance of the actual tackle to. to from uh, contact to breakdown mm-hmm. we're looking at their uh, overall ratio of tackles to missed tackles and you know all of these different metrics that we put into just this grade Ireland are at the top of all of them right and that's that's exactly what's represented here compared to England who would be at you know at the bottom of missed tackles they'd be at the bottom of uh, they're very um, stationary not coming off the line and hitting and also they're they're quite um they're, they they absorb the tackles rather than breaking through and and uh, you know dominating tackles as 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 it was coined a couple of years ago. So they, they, when we say Ireland are ninety seven point nine, they're there they're at that number because of the eight or nine different um, activities, the qualitative analysis that we put into this number. Ireland are at the top of nearly all of them, and that's why they're represented here. It, it seems just like when you look at the English numbers. It, like it really does represent how weak they currently are. Yeah, I think they're gonna. They have problems like they had a lot of injuries as well coming up to the actual competition, you know, and uh, up to the the, the game. Um, they have a lot of players that they're picking that that probably 
don't know what it is they're supposed to do and by Borthwick putting them into the team to begin with they're probably not entirely sure what it is they're supposed to be doing which is why Ireland are in such a brilliant position because you know clarity of purpose yeah. everybody understands what the game plan is everybody yeah. understands what their role within the game plan is and look I mean I think to Borthwick's credit he has come in and said I'm a bit surprised at how well, what exactly what I've inherited and you can see from the coaching changes mm. already they've announced that certain coaches are going to be leaving at the end of the Six Nations and he's getting his full team together yeah. at the end of the season um, the Leicester boys are, are coming over and he's going to get the band back together and yeah, then yeah. you can start judging him I know I, I, to be honest I would much prefer to see Eddie Johnson in there <laughs> but you know and especially the way Borthwick is speaking and talking about bringing fans back and you know bringing pride and you know back into you know bringing bringing pride into the jersey again is something that Eddie Jones didn't speak about and it's you know it is unfortunate for us leading into the World Cup but whether or not they can pull it together by then is is a big question yeah it'd be some turnaround from here to there to get to a position where you're actually competitive in a World Cup quarterfinal semi-final and final yeah yeah well like you think about it, it it was South Africa that were able to pull this off this time last or four years ago so they're just trying to follow that but you know staff got a completely different situation where they, they slightly continue. longer period as well for Razzie yeah, to come yeah. in and like Razzie had obviously been eyeing that job up for a long time and yeah um, uh, players is a bit, bit smaller but a bit more cohesive if that makes sense because they're, they're playing in smaller number of teams and stuff like that so yeah I'm actually a bit more worried about Scotland all of a sudden being really good in the World Cup year you know, and it's actually not really suddenly either. They have been slowly evolving a bit of depth, and players are now fitted. A, a, yeah. So they they do have genuine depth in that squad. Let's wait until next weekend. Let's let's we, we can come back and have a proper chat okay. about this when we when we okay. have uh, we have more analysis in it. But uh, I I think Scotland are this this was a good game by Scotland, but more more so it was a poor game by England. And you could probably say that a little bit about Ireland, but we did take that into consideration. Okay. Uh, what what's next then? Yeah. So basically, we do you know what we. There was so much talk around the back row and about Doris and about um, Van der Fleer. And when, so our analysis is based on everything. It's not just based on the tries or the carries or the things that people see that people go, wow, that's really cool. You know, the analysis that we look at, we look at absolutely everything. So when we actually threw it into our analytic uh, front end platform, that this is what teams use. Um, so basically, this is, a, this is showing the quality of performances from players 1 to 15. And what we have kind of highlighted here is Peter Manny. And Peter Manny basically was graded the highest of all the back rows in the game from, from Saturday's game. Which is he is, actually graded the highest of all the players? No, of all the, uh, all the pack, sorry. Of uh, all the pack, you've got, right. um, We've got basically Hugo Keenan, a fullback who had an immaculate game as well. Uh, but when you look at the actual forwards, um, it's Peter Manny who actually graded the highest. Okay, so Keenan did deserve the Man of the Match awards. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Right. So and what this analysis shows us is um, players make mistakes. And mistakes could be coming inside on the rook. They could be a bad pass. They could be lots of different things. But without taking it all into consideration, basically, you, you don't know this. You, you know, people would, would have said that it was a man. Manny had a kind of quiet game and didn't play that much in the game but when we go to the next slide we can actually see that he is involved in nearly everything you know he's involved in carrying rooking you know hugely impl- instrumental in, in the lineouts. he's uh, involved in tackling involved in blocking involved in defensive lineouts, a little bit of passing but not much but the point is is that he is he had an immaculate game he didn't have any mistakes in the whole game and nobody's talking about it and it's like 
Come on, lads. Like, give <laughs> credit where credit's you. you know? It is interesting because there's definitely a, um, a view that the back row is largely in situ. We know exactly who's going to be playing. If Conan comes in, Doris will move to six and Omani will be gone. No one's ever taken Josh Hunter Fleer's position and the one under pressure is Omani because it's not just Conan who might come in. Uh, there, it could be Baird. It could be any any combination. Yeah. He's the one who's at risk and you're actually saying, now hang on a second, his performance is actually quite far ahead of everybody else. It's, it's not... Well, it's just from this game, from this, this sure. weekend's, from, yeah. from this weekend's. But it's it. The point is, is that that these three guys are working in unison. They're working together. We need to basically understand what it is these guys do, so that anybody else that comes in has can, to at least reach yeah, that or exceed and, it. And that's what the next slide is doing. And that, you know, um, people can go in and use the, a, a version of this using our ReactRugby.com. So we have a free um, analysis. Uh, tool for people to go in and, and uh, help them understand which who are the best players. So users can go in and, and use this analysis, but this is just a kind of breakdown of what each player is doing. So, so for our uh, audio listeners, yeah. you've got pie charts of Omani, Van der Fleer and Caelan Doris, and you show the different, like, I don't know, is there 10 criteria there? That yeah, being- these are all the kind of fundamental uh, skill sets. So like in tackling, we have tackling, tackling assists. Um, in carrying, we've, you know, our, our rooking, we've counter-rooking, rooking, line-outs, line-out lifting and throwing. Mm. Uh, defensive line so the, the, these are kind of like an amalgamation of lots of different activities into one different categories you know during a game Derek say when um, you know coaches are trying after 50, 55, 60 minutes deciding who's coming off and who's staying on mm-hmm. like clearly some of these skills and activities are more physically arduous than others so I, yeah. I guess carrying and passing aren't maybe as, as tough on the body as the maul or, or rucking or tackling yeah. so like if, if a certain player's percentages in say maul or tackling are higher than others mm. could that could they see these stats and maybe use that information to decide who comes off or is it I know of course age comes into it as well but it, it certainly would be indicative as to who should be more tired than someone else I wouldn't even say age comes into it that much okay. I, I like you know this is probably something for a, a longer version of this because it's you know we have the data here I can yeah. walk you through exactly what it is you know we've, we've a front end system where we can look at the performance of an individual player throughout the entire game so, but we, what we do is we take the activities themselves and the grades to get to split the analysis. Now it's a bit, going to be a little bit more technical stuff, but we we basically split the game into kind of four four kind of categories that you'd call them. So, tactical, technical, physical, and mental. So, if they make mental mistakes, we identify that. If they make if they're physically involved in the game, we identify that. So, all of these metrics we're able to pull apart and put together again um, and I presume if you're a team you're overlaying the uh, the data that's coming from their GPS with this mm. type of thing to show. you could yeah definitely but um, th- and I suppose Andrew Porter who who had a few errors uh, <laughs> during the weekend you know uh, just after half time and this is something we're going to talk about a little bit later on is just around the new rules that have been brought in and how that's affected the game but that's that. Those are the signs of um, people not being fit enough, or lose, or maybe taking a knock. Is those or you fatigue? Know, fatigue, yeah, yeah. Which is they're going in, they're, they're making tackles where they over the try line, or they're knocking the ball on, or they're doing two or three things in a row that are mistakes. That that's that should be an identifier rather than age or you know previous experience. But we, what we do is we can show the basically the performance of a per player. 
over the entire game, over the entire season, and identify trends of whether they're losing their their their, game, their, their work rate, basically. Okay. Um, so the back row seems to work perfectly in concert together. You yeah. want those uh, different graphs to show different things. Yeah. And that's why this trio is... Yeah, and like Funder Fleer, so they're, they're different types of players. Um, you know, Funder Fleer and Ken Doris would be much more dynamic players, you know, because they're, they're doing bits of everything. They're, they'd be ranked top players based on tackling, carrying and rooking and line-outs while Peter Manny would you know he'd be much more involved in just rooking line-outs and carrying but a lot of that stuff is behind the scenes it's not the stuff that you kind of go oh jeez that was brilliant mm-hmm. but that's the stuff that really is important mm-hmm. to, to help the guys score the tries well Manny's still playing at his peak yeah he, well he did in this game now he yeah. t- got taken off kind of reasonably early but I suppose it's it's better to keep him Fresh for the, the Fresh challenge ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so what's the what's the next one? Yeah, so um, the next one is a bit. I, I should have done a little bit more work on this, but uh, it, basically, what, what World Rugby are trying to do is trying to increase the amount of time that's happening in the game. So we look at kind of three separate metrics. There's the overall eighty minutes that's expected to be of the, of the game. Then there is the minutes that the players are on the pitch. So. You know that's gone up to 105 minutes in some games, so that's an extra 25 minutes where the players are on the pitch. Those two data points are not really useful for teams for players. What's useful is understanding when the ball goes into play, when the ball goes out of play, and stitching them all together. Um, and in the whatever 15, 20 games that we did in 2022, the average time of ball in play was only 30 minutes. So that's where the ball was in play for just for. Um, and when we look at Ireland, you know their 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 ball and play was thirty three minutes, so they rank number one of all the teams that are in this, compared to France, who are ranked like third or fourth, okay, or third or fourth last, should I say? Right. So basically, Ireland like keeping the ball in play. If you keep the ball in play, you're able to um, kind of uh, uh, implement your game plan, which is high tempo, high work rate, to try and cause mistakes based on fitness, based on performance. Um, and when we look at 2023 and after these three games, there's only a small set. Does this connect to your earlier point about France kicking the ball out? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the exactly. So they they, they like to reset. They like to to um, That's get Edwards. territory. Is it? Like um, it's French pers- rugby. It's French rugby. Like if you watch French rugby, it's a lot. But like that 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 would be a strategic game plan is going to the corners or going going out of play compared to other teams like Wales. Wales played into Ireland's game plan by kicking the ball in play and keeping mm-hmm. it in play. If we want to play France and we want to beat France and we want to implement our game plan, we keep the ball in play as much as physically possible. See, it's tricky, right? Because mm. you're then kicking the ball back to that French back three who mm. are pretty good at at that bit. Like, they get the ball and they're not going to kick it to our back three. They're going to kick it out because... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, well, like, I, I, w- I would... Our game plan plays into some of their strengths. I would argue with that a little bit. I think we have this general understanding that Fra- Le France, or, you know, played this expansive game plan, but they well, don't. It's not expansive, though. It's counter-attacking, right? When you, weeks yeah. in, so even Jalabert at the weekend um, just comes off the bench and his immediate instinct when he gets the ball is to... Yeah, yeah but um, the, I don't know what the, the guy's name is, the fullback for uh, Toulouse. He's not an attacking... 15 he's a kicking to 15 he, he kicks a goal and he kicks a touch and he's he, he he's able to catch the ball but he, he wouldn't be an attacking threat personally I don't think that they're that big of a threat uh, what their big threat is is by um, 
spoiling your line out. Yeah, spoiling her line out, putting pressure on uh, the opposition, playing a slow, melodic game plan. Everything else was supposed to do, but it's not, nothing too expansive or extraordinary compared to Ireland. Ireland will be much more strategically um, difficult to play. Piece in one of the papers today that they'd mm. um, gone out of their way to sign one of the uh, South African coaches who's the architect of how South Africa play. And I was like, that doesn't really make that much sense. But actually, what you're saying is that it's very South African in style. Right? Well, it's very French. French rugby as a whole isn't very flamboyant. You know, in the top fourteen, it's bang amazing bang. marketing. Then they have like, but you like know. we've been brought up to think of Flair and you know Philippe Saint Andre or Philippe Sella, Serge Blanco. Yeah, Serge but Blanco. it's all bullshit. Is that what you're saying? Largely, um, apart from a few moments here I don't and want there. Insult any French people? We're holding a mirror <laughs> up to them. To this week we can. I want them to week. help, help, help France. But the idea is, is that the, the information here though is will be trending very much to improving. Ireland's chances, okay? Because Ireland's Ireland's whole game plan is very similar to Leinster, which is ball and time play, put under pressure, put teams under pressure, ensure that you you know have the ball in the right places so that you can strike and pick and drive when necessary, or off the nine if necessary, and then off ten when necessary. These rules and these implementation of these rules by the referee. Is a massive plus for Ireland. You know, there's been, you know, when we look at actually production and the amount of uh, grades or the amount of output that each team implements, there's a 34% increase in the amount of activities that are happening in the game based on these rules from this weekend's games. So the rule changes are actually working. Yeah. Now, now there's there's drawbacks to that as well. You know, there's there's and things that, that I haven't shown yet, which is injuries. You know, Ireland are really lucky in the first game that they didn't get any injuries as soon as you get injuries your, your whole game plan changes mm. because you have to shuffle around what you're going to do and that's what this weekend that's what, what I'm hoping well not that I'm hoping what I, what I predict is going to happen is, is that France are going to come out of the blocks many miles an hour Ireland weather the storm even if they go behind by a significant margin I think Ireland in the second half will you know you know it doesn't matter if they what the six what is a 6-2 split of a pack Ireland, if they implement, or if they're able to keep the ball in play and they're able to implement their strategy and they're able to actually spread the ball around like they have done over the last twelve months, then I, I don't see France living with Ireland. Okay, so a furious comeback in the second half that is successful finally for Ireland. Well, if Ireland go out and win it from the start, I'll be happy with that as well. You know, it's not it's, it's not just the <laughs> second half. But I, I that's the, the the point is though is that the rules that have been implemented by World Rugby have seen a, a significant increase in ball and play which is around 21% like think about if you were expected to do 21% extra time each morning on your work sometimes we do <laughs> yeah sometimes we do it's yeah sometimes we do yeah, yeah it's, but it's it's, significant. it's, yeah. it's um but the, the 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 other side of it as well is is that Ireland haven't increased compared to the rest of the teams it's the other teams that are catching up to Ireland Ireland this is now time for Ireland to to put their foot down and actually you know, because um, the referees have a big, massive impact on this. It's the referees who are you allowing know, this happen. Yeah. Well, they're they're implementing it. They're, these are yeah. new rule changes. It's the rules of the referee to, or it's the jobs. It's the job of the referee to, to implement the rules of the game. 
So, but it's Ireland, it's Ireland's opportunity to get to the lineouts quicker. It's to get to the, set the scrum quicker, kick off quicker, everything else. We're getting know. some unexpected opportunities to see more Conor Murray stats. I know we had some numbers of him last week, but yeah. didn't expect that the first two games. Yeah. it appears that he'll be playing again this weekend. So we'll have plenty more numbers to. Yeah, no, well, we might we might come back to that. I suppose it's it's looking at the games from a whole and a higher level and and trying to make it somewhat more. Um, I suppose easier to digest yeah. because like a lot of this stuff is nobody else is really talking about yeah. so well I think the Amani stuff is really interesting because I, yeah. I think there's a general sense of sports fans after a period of time people want to see the shiny new thing but like yeah. be very careful hasten slowly yeah. but uh, it's that, all them working in conjunction it's not just Peter Amani it's it's Peter Amani doing something slightly differently to, to Kellen Doris and Doris doing something and slightly different and dynamic yeah 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 absolutely. for now anyway uh, yeah. alright Derek good stuff uh, reactrugby.com for anybody who wants to use those tools yeah yeah and any teams any professional teams out there looking for this type of analysis <laughs> give you a call get a touch yeah we're ready to go ready to rock 18 minutes past 9 this morning here on OTBM more from Derek of course after the game next week uh, here's what's on OTB Sports What's radio for you today? OTB Gold at one o'clock is the incredible story of Catherine Switzer and the Boston Marathon. Uh, Koi Gig is live from three. Our retro panel is How Far Does Doping Go? Uh, James McLean is OTB Gold. And congratulations to James and his family on the birth of their fourth child. He played a couple of hours after it. So uh, fair play for that. You can follow off the wall across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in latest sports content. Up after the break, Dara Joyce and Connor McKenna on the line live to talk about... Uh, the Brisbane Lions preseason. Stay tuned. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. Zebra going on his own. He gets the try. The Red seventy eight. We're both monster people. Nobody knows monster rugby better. Carberry gets over the line. Try from a available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Uh, let's go down under and I'm delighted to say a very good morning slash good evening to Dara Joyce and Connor McKenna. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome. Um, uh, Connor, I might start with you. Uh, the wet and windy pictures from the Allianz Football League might have made it all the way to uh, sunny Australia. Were you feeling any pangs of regret that you weren't out there? Hey, no, I haven't really followed too much to be honest. Hey. Just seeing the results after the game, but sort of happy here in sunny Brisbane. Yeah, it sounds nice. Yeah, it's been good. It's been a, a change from Melbourne. Melbourne was a bit of a shock to the system. thought it was going over there for sunshine and rainbows, but it was very similar to home during winter. You have your four degree days and a lot of rain, so Brisbane's a bit of a change. It's been 35, 36 degrees for the last two weeks, so it's been a bit too warm, but I'm not complaining. Yeah, it looks like you've got a bit of a suntan there. Uh, Dara, what's the crack with you? You were... Um I, I don't know if you were tempted or not, but certainly you were linked with perhaps coming back and picking up the hurl again and um, sticking around Kilkenny. But it turns out that uh, it's always sunny in Australia. Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, tempted to go back home. Um, I had plenty of chats with Derek Ling and I was in doing a bit of training with him when I was at home. Uh, I went back to hurl from my, my local club and played with my brother and family and that kind of thing. So that was good fun. But... Um, when I came back down, I kind of realised how good Australia is and how sunny it is. So, um, yeah, I was planning on moving home for Christmas, but um, settled back in pretty well and then decided to give it another crack and then, lucky enough, ended up up here with Connor. How does that come about? When you're back in Ireland, Are you? Is your, do you still have an agent in Australia kind of saying, here, listen, we have some interest in clubs, there's an opportunity here for you, or how does that work? 
Uh, yeah, so I was let go by St Kilda. Um, and then obviously my contract is finished up and then your manager is paid by your contract. But um, I'd open and honest conversations with my manager and he kind of convinced me when I got back down that you'll get another chance at it. And he was pretty pessimistic or optimistic about it. And um, yeah, that was kind of where it all began when I came back down. He sat down and said, look, we'll sort out another club. There's interest in you. Um, so he wasn't obviously getting paid during that period but um yeah just a gentleman helped me out all along the way and uh so just continued that on with him how do you how do you end up choosing brisbane connor like for yourself uh, I, I know you, you you kind of time coming home with tyrone very very well and won your all ireland so it, at least it gives you the the freedom i guess without regret to go back to australia but w- was was brisbane an easy choice i guess you want to add an afl title to that as well yeah i suppose as you say i, I came home and wanted to go home to play for tyrone and my club and was lucky enough to win the Lion. To be honest, it probably just made it easier to come back once I'd sort of ticked that off the, the bucket list. So, as you say, if they go on to win one this year, it'll be still hard, hard to say, but uh, not as bad. So, then just got in the communication with a few teams and had four or five teams to pick from and Brisbane were probably the one with the, the biggest chance of winning the Premiership and that was sort of the goal. Uh, Tag Canelli, he's the only player to win a, a Lion on a Premiership, so that's my, my goal is try to get a Premiership and they... Uh, get on level with him I know I'm dealing in hypotheticals here but if Tyrone hadn't won that All-Ireland a couple of years ago would you have would you have stayed on a bit longer here or, or were you always tempted to go back yeah I was definitely always tempted and leaning towards going back I'd say as I said just definitely made it uh easier decision but I still think probably this year probably would have came back I'd say anyway you, you get that itch I suppose like that 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 seems to be something and I know you, you would have you mentioned Ty Canelli there he's someone I know the two of you have, have dealt with quite Quite uh, constantly. So, is are conversations with people like that who have who have been there and done it quite important in making your decision? Yeah, there are ways. I suppose going from a professional athlete and working four or five days a week and kicking a football around, then going back home working nine to four, nine to five, and then going up to a white Wednesday night and training from six to ten. It's sort of it's an easy decision, I suppose, and uh, <laughs> it definitely put it in perspective. And me, me probably appreciate more of a legacy of what I have over here, and they just made it easy in that sense. But as you say, talking to like the large Dar and Tag and boys, they've been through that, and I, I'm happy I went home. It definitely the right decision at the time, but just give my clear mind that I definitely want to give another crack for a few more years. How easy is it for you to transition back to being a full time athlete after being somebody who's, as you say, going to work and then going training? Was it? Are you straight back into it and feel like you were when you were a full time athlete already, or is there a bit of a transition period? It's a good, good, definitely a good transition. I suppose getting back into, as I say, kicking a ball around for work. But yeah, it takes it takes a while. It definitely takes a toll on the body. And I suppose the the tiredness is a big one. You you be in there from probably seven o'clock in the morning till three or four in the evening, three days a week. So it definitely takes a toll on the body. And you just takes probably two weeks to get back in the swing of things. But to be honest, after that, I should have felt back at home probably and sort of just happy playing NFL again. To be honest. And in terms of your own form at the moment, is it back to where it would have been before you came home to Throne? Yeah, it's probably, I'd probably pick it up quicker than I thought I would have, to be right. honest. The kicking now has been fine, and that was probably my main area. I suppose I hadn't kicked the ball in, in two and a half years, really, so we'd come back and sort of be kicking good enough again. I was happy with that, and then it was just probably learning the, the different game plan and different tactics of the team, so that's probably the, the main issue at the minute, just getting used to that. But uh, the more game time I get, I'm probably a better learner playing the game than actually 
listen to the coach talk about it, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Dara, what about you going home to pick up the hurl again? So people might be familiar, they might not, but you had a very successful underage career. Obviously, your brother is a, a storied multiple All-Ireland winner, so it's in the genes and it's there somewhere. How how easy did you find it going back to hurling? And was that maybe part of your decision to come back? Is that you would have found it difficult to get back to the level that you feel you need to be at? Or would that have been fairly straightforward? What, what's your instinct? Um, it wouldn't have been straightforward. Um, I remember I landed on a Wednesday, uh, trained Thursday night, and then played my first game on a Saturday. And I played in midfield, and midfield I just got bypassed, didn't know where to run. I was kind of running footy patterns and kind of just got bypassed the whole game. But um, I kind of got slotted into the half-forward line then, and I was under a few puckouts and kind of got a little bit of a flow into my game. Um, so it was coming back to me. Um and just getting the touch in, like it's just, it's like riding a bike, like I did it for so long, so the touch is going to be there after a certain period of time, but it was just like striking on the run and different things like that when you get under fatigue, um, that's what came against me, but really enjoyed it, like going back to play for your club is is always special, and um, yeah, like it's still on the radar, I'd love to do what Connor did, go home and, and win All-Ireland, that's always been a dream as a kid, like I didn't dream of playing AFL, um, I dreamed of listening Lee McCarthy with Kilkenny so um, yeah it's still it's still on my radar hopefully at some stage I was going to say I mean apart from maybe the O'Halpines who obviously were were dual as as kids and uh, famously Sean Oak played both uh, hurling and football there haven't been that many hurlers who've made it to the AFL have there? Uh, I'm not no I don't think so Mark Keane is obviously a, a dual player and he's just after signing up at Adelaide um, so he can dabble in both but uh, it's, I'm thinking I'm the first Kilkenny man in a way for sure <laughs> How did you get scouted? Did you just go to a combine kind of thinking I might want to go here or did someone come and say okay here listen you've got the profile uh, Yeah so I went to school in Good Council College in New Ross uh, Wexford and they're like a big football stronghold so played my football there got scouted from there um, I think it was Ty Canelli's brother that actually saw me and then just got yeah brought to a Dublin Combine, the same kind of process as Connor, and then came down to the Australian draft. Uh, I came down when I was pretty young, like I hadn't been to college yet, so uh, I was kind of a bit homesick when I first went down. Um, and there was like talk of a contract being put in front of me, and then I just like came home for a year. Um, St Kilda at the time worked with me for a full year, and then went to uni, went to UCD, and then learned how to defend for myself, and then uh, was grown up enough to, to make the trip down. I, Dar, I think you've, I've heard you speaking before about Eddie Brennan and the conversation you might have had with him when he was the Kilkenny under twenty one manager, maybe at training one night, and like maybe regrets from from not regrets, but him looking back on his own career and you know if you get opportunities to go down under, you only really get it get it once, so you have to jump at it. Like were, were conversations like that with people like Eddie, uh, I guess, pretty significant in in your own decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember that night it was in St. Kieran's College and it was pissing down rain and we were getting flogged in a running session um, and I was just had a chat with him after it on the way in and we were drowned. But um, yeah, Eddie was brilliant. Like he just said that he had the opportunity to travel when he was young and some an opportunity like this came up, um, he would have jumped at it. And I've seen a few of my friends now have moved down to Melbourne. Like if there's a mass exodus of Ireland at the moment and like a few friends just come down to work in Melbourne and whatnot and they just said if they didn't go now they'll like they'll never go because they'll get into a job at home or whatnot. So um yeah for me it was a no brainer the opportunity to be a professional athlete. 
Um, and if I didn't make it after two years, I would have learned a whole heap and came home and hopefully become a better hurler from it. So um, it just so happens I'm I'm still here seven years later. Uh, Connor, I don't think we've spoken to you about your at uh, the end of your previous time in Australia since you came home. That all got a bit mad. You were kind of um, rounded on by the Australian media. Has, has that all disappeared? Is there any hangover with your relationship with the Australian media from all that stuff? No, and it's probably a big difference from being in Brisbane compared to Melbourne. A- AFL in Melbourne is just like a premiership in England. It's massive and sort of live and breathe it down there. Whereas up in Brisbane, it's a lot of uh, NRL and the rugby union. So it's a lot, a lot different compared to Melbourne. There's no real cameras at the at the club that often. And if there is any media, it's maybe one or two cameras from Melbourne. You could have anyone sort of land at your door at the club on a daily basis. So it's, it's been a nice change. It hasn't been a whole pile of media so far, which is a, always a plus. So they don't care, you don't care, it, it's all grand? Yeah, no, no, it didn't really bother me. Like, I think at that time I had already mind up I was going to come home anyway. Right. I certainly knew that year I wasn't really enjoying it and probably made the decision that I was going to give it one more year and come home, play for Throne and play for Eglish, but didn't really make it through the year and happy I did make that decision. But yeah, I don't think no matter what happened that year, to be honest, I was always going to come home. It's great to have that flexibility mm-hmm. to move in this scenario at the moment in your in your career and in your life, I suspect. It's like, okay, I can do this for a period of time because it gives you a certain freedom where this isn't the single thing that you've ever dreamed of doing. Now you've got kind of ticked off a lot of boxes. How, what what sense of freedom does that give you about what's coming next? Yeah, I think it does. I think probably talked myself into nearly hating Australia when I was here the first time and just always wanted to get home to play for Throne and play for Aglish and do probably what I dreamt of doing and now that you say I've ticked that off it probably just gives them a time that I'm actually probably a lot more relaxed out here now and know if it's I stay for two years grand if I stay for three years or four years I'm, I've no real timeline on it to be honest I'm, I'm setting my girlfriend move over so whatever sort of works for us is, is grand and as you say that freedom just knowing I'm not rushing home for anything or I'm not stuck here sort of it definitely gives you a bit more freedom and just makes you more happy probably is it a strange feeling, Connor, when you're those years where you, you were over in Australia not playing for Tyrone, watching Tyrone play in the championship? Like, it sounds like a terrible thing to say, but is there an element of your of your being that that almost doesn't want Tyrone to win when you're not there? Like, you you, you want to be part of the All Ireland winning team when it does come around. Luckily for you, you were. Um, but yeah, but I guess yeah, it's a strange yeah, feeling watching those games. It is, yeah, completely. Uh, my first year, Tyrone under twenty ones won All Ireland. They beat Tipperary and. That was a big moment that sort of hit home that I most likely would be involved in that team. And it sort of probably made me question why I was here and sort of stubborn fella. And I sort of always wanted to play one AFL game. So I said, no, I'll stay and put that aside. And then I went to the All Ireland final in 2018, watched it in Crook Park and threw me up maybe 5 1 in the first 10 minutes. And I felt physically sick. I thought I was going to throw up. Like it just, it was a horrible feeling. You wanted to win, but you just felt like, oh my God, if, if they do win, they haven't been there. Like, is it worth it being over here? So, probably got very lucky in that way that for myself I didn't win it that year because it would have been sick for me but obviously great for them and then as you said just got pretty lucky coming home and sort of slotted in and having just sort of fell into place because I think of uh, I used to play soccer with Conor Moyna plays for Cavan and of course he I think he went travelling the year Cavan won the Ulster title for the first time in years and you think about people like that and Ronald O'Gara wrote a piece in the Irish Examiner a few weeks ago where he was talking about after after he retired watching Ireland playing in games against the All Blacks and almost hoping that they'd lose. So there is that. It's a strange feeling, you, you know, not not to want your county or your country to to win. But uh, I guess that's that's sport. It is, yeah. That's I suppose as Dar says, it's a sacrifice you make when you come over here. You always have the 
the possibility that a club or a county is going to win something at home and I probably just lucky enough I didn't miss anything too great and got to be involved in, in All Ireland which was amazing so probably got pretty lucky compared to most players I'd say Dara what's your crack with um, a contract and all that how, how long are you settled out for what, because the life of a professional sportsman is, is pretty brutal what's your situation at the moment uh, yeah so I've just signed a year contract um, so it all happened kind of pretty quick I was waiting for an opportunity like this to come up I had signed with Collingwood VFL side so I was literally going to work for a year and play VFL in the hope of getting picked up before season like just happened or else mid-season if you're having a good year um, so literally I got a phone call uh, I had a meeting on a Friday had a phone call on a Monday and then it was confirmed on a Tuesday um, and I flew up to and Connor collected me from the airport on a Sunday with a with a one-year contract so um, that's how it all happened so I'm literally here now just to um, train hard and try and force my way into the best 22 come round one How sickening is the pre-season? Um, pre-seasons are tough especially up here where it's so humid um, I was doing a lot of stuff myself so I only started like the last month um, so I've actually probably timed it well they're coming into playing games now so last Friday we played three 20 minutes of actual a match between ourselves um, this Friday we'll add on a bit more to that but um, Connor was probably there for a bit of the harder running sessions before Christmas you're shaking um, your head there Connor. I <laughs> <laughs> I had to do uh, my, my own running over Christmas to try and keep fit so um, yeah getting back into football boots uh, full time kind of blew me up there the last couple of weeks but the body's feeling good um, but yeah I've timed it pretty well coming into games now so it's uh, this is the best time of the year You're I think 26 Dara so there's still plenty of time for you to come home and have a, a swan song that involves Liam McCarthy Yeah not 26 yet just a couple of times so um, <laughs> yeah uh, plenty of time yet but uh, this year just focused for Brisbane and I so see how it goes Would you like to see either of you like Connor? I guess I don't want to start the professionalism and amateur debate in, in GEA just yet but it's kind of been rumbling all the time and I guess it's getting more professional in terms of well in terms of the commitment of players uh, and in terms of the finances pumped into the game as well is is that something you like to see down the tracks? It's, it's a hard one like a I'd say suppose being back and playing as a county player for two years it gave me an unbelievable appreciation of what them players do and when I look at players having 10 year county careers I don't understand how it's possible it's it's just such a commitment and we probably weren't even to that level because of COVID for a year and a half so we were probably a bit less than normal but yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting one because the boys give so much and probably in a lot of cases gets a little back in terms of silverware and and winning stuff I suppose only one team can really win the Sam Maguire so the other two 32 sort of don't get much but I don't know how, how it's fixed but it's just it's it's too much I think for an amateur player to balance a life a life with football it sort of takes over your whole life and then the split season's good too but when we won the land we didn't really have an off season for two years because your off season or your throne finishes in the week after we won the land we had a match the week after so it just it never stops it's just sort of a continuous circle of, of football and and I'm a type of person I sort of let you away from it. I don't like football that much. I like to play it, but I don't like to be swarmed by it. Yeah, I think um, that's increasingly 
what a lot of people are, are making the decisions and we're seeing people take a year out in their mid-twenties to go travelling and come back and you know you've seen it with um, several of the dubs but it's happening in every county as well listen lads we wish you the very best of luck this season congratulations on the, the new contract Dara and uh, Connor. you know if you are the, the next man on that list of people who uh, have won both of those medals that'll be a fairly sensational end to this season for you so thanks a million lads thanks very much for us uh, thanks Joyce. guys thanks very much appreciate it and Connor McKenna there in, um, in sunny Brisbane Impressive. I can't imagine the like you, you think about GA pre seasons in the in the December cold and they're like I'd imagine very tough at any county level, but at the humid of Brisbane. I mean, doing those runs and strength and conditioning and that heat, I can't I can't even can't fathom it. Be tough. Uh, a lot of love for um, your top ten. Uh, yeah, lol. No way. Skulls is number one. Uh, Keen is the number one. Let's be honest. Where is Park Skulls? Ha 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 ha. A lot of hate. See, I'm getting hate from United fans who think uh, Skulls shouldn't be t- number one, but also Liverpool fans who think that uh, Skulls is nowhere near the best Premier League midfielder. He's not. Well, uh, nowhere near, though. Everybody else was on your side, though, when it came to the LeBron celebrations. Uh, Bobby Dwyer says, you were pretty dismissive of Kane breaking the Spurs record yesterday, Ger. I think the term doing his job was said, well, that's because you were threatening to, uh, you know, abandon us slash cheat on us, Bobby. <laughs> that's all that was. What would Roy Keane make of the LeBron uh, stopping the, the game in the third quarter uh, right game, game recognised game uh, if he was there in the front row he'd be there with his little um, it's his job though he's a, he's a Yankees fan keen though according to all the photographs that we saw from the World yeah. Cup in 94 uh, let's be honest it's disrespectful to the opposition get on with it it's a match says Super Ken agreed 3-5-4 have your celebrations by all means and, and LeBron is, is one of the greatest athletes of, of our time certainly so he deserves the celebration but uh, I just think it was a bit over the top stopping the game in the third quarter let the quarter play out there's only 10 seconds left or do it after the match. Shin Shin, uh, we're live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Shane's going to be joined by Ashling tomorrow to take you through the morning's top sports stories. We'll also have you had to be there and plenty more besides. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.